Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Thank you, and hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, socially distanced from you here, Rob. Yeah, we are. Uh, this is our third uh, consecutive week of uh, doing our, our normal podcast via Zoom, so I, I miss seeing you in the room, but it's nice to see your face uh, every few days, other than in my Facebook feed, Paul. Don't worry, my mediocre joke still stands, so I finished the Peloton, so I brought my protein shake. I don't know if you know I've won this award here, uh, world's best boss. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, that's for to start the podcast CE show. But then also appropriately midway through Rob, I have brought a mind haze IPA, which I think, you know, also embraces the moment here too. Right. It's uh, five o'clock someplace in the middle of the Atlantic ocean, I guess. Mm -hmm. right? yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, so uh, welcome everyone to another episode of the dental amigos podcast, uh, a special uh, episode where we're Facebook living and, Zoom webinaring uh, at the same time, and uh, we're recording the show on April 1st, 2020. And Paul, if you had told me two months ago that this is what we were going to be doing a show about today, I would have bet the farm that it was an April Fool's joke. Yeah, I, I would have, the Earth did it. They got the ultimate April Fool's joke. You notice there's none today, so, you know, they, they, yeah. they declared champion Earth. So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting used to the, uh, the new normal here. Uh, and uh, but today we have a, a slightly different show uh, from our, our normal format, and I'm going to say an incredible, even all-star lineup of thought leaders in the dental space who are going to talk about what they think the dental profession and the dental industry is going to look like post-COVID. And this will be first probably will be about three podcast episodes where we're going to interview industry leaders on their insights into into this topic, and you know really. I feel like uh, this is almost therapy for me, Paul, because uh, I, I'm tired of talking about the same old stuff and the stimulus and the tax stuff. All that's important, but I'm kind of getting to the point where like, I'm ready to talk about what's next, and uh, I hope our listeners are too, because it's time to start planning and thinking about what the, the profession and the business is going to look like when people are able to return to work and start strategizing and game planning uh, for what that's going to look like. I think, Rob, just to bring home the podcast in a way that I can, the, the, the why, always explain your why, sometimes Mrs. Nacho and I are at Alves having margaritas and nachos, planning our diet for after we have them. So I feel like everyone's had that experience, and I feel like that represents what we're doing mm -hmm. now. We're planning 
for when we can get back on track. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think it's healthy too. And uh, some of it's selfish too, Paul, because I have to admit that um, I really feel privileged to have the ability and the, the access to all these thought leaders and just great dental industry minds uh, to chat with them about what they're seeing and what they think is to come. And I've had a lot of recent conversations daily, actually several conversations a day with folks like this and you know about forecasting and what they think is going to change or not change. I thought it'd be a really cool thing to uh, to let our listeners in on this, yeah. so that they uh, they have the same uh, same privilege that that we have in, in having uh, uh, to, to hear what these people uh, are saying. And I think you know, as I said a minute ago, it's important for people, I think, to start to shift their mindset and to start thinking about you know what the practice and the profession is going to look like uh, after the COVID uh, settles. Um, it's going to end. It's going to end sometime. You know when? I'm not sure yet. But God, it will end. It has to. Uh, you know the same. I got in you know, my catchphrases. You know, just strategies for small solutions. You know, build small solutions while you're sitting home. And, it, and, it, and it, there's actually might be some unique opportunities to do stuff you wouldn't have been able to do and plan for. And I, I'm excited to talk about some of those today as well. Yeah, me too. And so. Uh, here is the lineup for today. These are going to be brief bios. Everybody's going to know who these people are, but I'm going to just say a sentence or two about each of them. We're going to kick it off with Dr. David Phelps, uh, a retired dentist, frequent lecturer and founder of Freedom Founders, a financial planning firm that assists dentists in realizing financial freedom and finding a constructive work-life balance. Then we're going to move on to Jamie Amos, the founder and CEO of the highly regarded Ideal Practices Dental Practice Consulting Firm and host of Dentistry's Ideal Practices podcast. Uh, third on the docket is Jonathan Van Horn, CPA. He's a dental-focused accountant, founder of the accounting firm Tooth and Coin, and host of the popular Start Your Dental Practice podcast. Uh, fourth, uh, batting uh, in the cleanup role here, fourth in the lineup. Uh, Dr. Desiree Yazdan, uh, a practicing dentist and dental practice owner with over 155,000 Instagram followers. We've been uh, a guest on our podcast before. And then we're going to wrap it up today with Dr. Sonny Pahuja, also a practicing dentist and dental practice owner and moderator of the Dental Investment Facebook group. So uh, let's get it kicked off. Dr. David Phelps, Thank you. Welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Robert, Paul, thanks uh, Thanks for doing this. I think, as you said a minute ago, these conversations are really, really important right now. Nobody has a perfect crystal ball vision on what's going to be, but I think uh, the kind of the brain trust that different people bring from different perspectives, uh, different experiences, I think is invaluable because we all have to be, as you said, forward thinking at this point. Yeah. And so, David, you know, what do you see? What is sort of the one or two things that jump out at you as either opportunities or things that people should watch out for or plan for? And and and, and if you want, you know, do you see, is there going to be a change in the dental industry? Uh, and and uh, will the business and the, the profession look different, even if it's only two or three months from now? Yeah, great question. Uh, we're not going back to normal just in any regard. Um, socially, as a country, uh, in business, there will be no going back to what's usual. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's not opportunities. Uh, those who are positioning themselves for what they believe is next, and that's part of what the conversations are today, those who prepare in advance, uh, they're using 
the stimulus uh, to whatever advantage they can to start getting ready to, to come back whenever the green lights turned on are those that have a chance to, to be strong. I would say, you know, the, the dental industry and those other industries that require people coming together. You know, we know what those are, venues, concerts, uh, hospitality arena, uh, area, gyms, um, bars, nightclubs, uh, any, any, any business that, that has people come together is, is going to be greatly affected. And I think we'll see this social distance, distancing is going to go on for some time because we don't have um, immunity. We don't have a vaccine uh, near, near term on the horizon. So let's say we get, get through, some, through the apex and the lights turn back on again. Uh, we're not going to go back in the dental industry to uh, the efficiencies that we had in the past, the efficiencies in scheduling tight and having a doctor, uh, you know, manage uh, numerous operatories and checking hygiene in between. Uh, I mean, it's, that's going to be very difficult to do. Uh, overhead costs are going to go up to do that. And again, I'm, I'm pretty sure that whether patients dic dictate what they want in terms of protection or it's mandated, uh, personal protective e equipment and distancing uh, people in the in the element of the operatories uh, so if you if you're if you're working in a ortho open bay or pediatric dentists who are high volume and have you know a tight density of patients I'm pretty sure that you're not going to come back and have that that same same model so you've got to start thinking about that uh, as you as you come forward what's your model going to look like I, I see a, 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 a time relatively quickly where where we're all going to uh, where businesses that have a high density of, of, of flow of clients or patients, uh, there's going to be a temperature scanning. Uh, I think workplace uh, people are going to have uh, some kind of temperature monitors. You're probably going to have to show at some point when it's feasible uh, that you have immunity or you've been vaccinated when the vaccine's available. Uh, so any, any business like that's going to have uh, you know higher, higher barriers to entry, uh, higher costs of delivering the service. Uh, and not to be able to do so with the uh, with the numbers. Uh, so again, looking at the models that uh, that some people run pretty well today, which is a lot of uh, of the uh, of the managed care programs uh, that they feel like they have to take. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult to run that model. I would say also that if if you're that model and you're a solo practitioner coming back out of this and 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 handling that, particularly if you have a you're fairly highly leveraged and who's not going to be leveraged coming out of this uh, with, with the loans that people are taking out. Uh, I think it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of fallout. I think there's going to be a number of owner practitioner owners in their, let's just call it in the range of 50s, 60s uh, that probably won't come back. They won't come back as owners. They'll come back as hopefully being employed by somebody. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the industry. We've seen a lot of that in the last, last decade, the last five years. And I think we'll see more of that. Um, insurance companies will, are not going away. Um, and they're not necessarily gonna wanna come in or have the capacity to pay more because it's the employers that dictate what, what insurance companies are able to offer. And people, people bad mouth the insurance companies, I get that. I understand that they're not, they're not user friendly. Uh, but, but that's not to say that uh, they have the wherewithal to, to just pay more to, to increase the, the profitability of the solo dentist. So I think we'll see a consolidation. We'll see many unemployed dentists and support staff for some time. I think there's a lot of support staff that aren't gonna come back to the industry because uh, they just say, you know what, too risky. Or if they do come back, they're going to want to have more benefits. Like if you're not providing healthcare right now, I bet you you're gonna have to do that in some regard or pay, pay hazard pay uh, because there's gonna be demands for that. So it's gonna be very shifting sands out there. And I think we just have to have a reality check as to what that's gonna look like and where each person wants to position themselves in the 
in the environment that's going to be, be very disruptive in you know the near term and long term. A couple of things you said there, David, that I think are really valuable, which which I think you know you and I are kindred spirits of sort of sharing the reality. And you know sometimes that reality, people you know say I don't like the way it sounds, but still the reality. Prior to this, BCB before coronavirus, ACB, I was encouraging you know hey you're in your town, connect with other dentists, maybe you build your own space, you do build a bigger thing. I think. You know, in the Oprah, you get a CBCT, you get a CBCT, that joke that people made. Mm -hmm. I see now that whatever regulations you may have to put into your practice, it now could be the time to start to talk to your dentist in your your neighborhood, proverbial neighborhood, because there might be a a true need for one place to put this in. And yes, if one practice does 1.5 million and one does 500,000, maybe they want to take that $500,000, as Rob would say, and fold it in to the 1.5 million if the $1.5 million practice is going to be in implementing these these um, PPE enhancements and safety enhancements. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, you know, collaboration, which uh, as you've noted many times, Paul, is is not something that we as dentists do very well at all. It's just, it's just not our nature. It wasn't wasn't how we were built, not how we were trained, not how the education system set up. But if there was ever a time to want to learn how to collaborate, um, this would be one of those times. If you want to again remain somewhat independent of um, corporate insurance companies uh, and not being under the full dictates of, of what they're going to be offering. I agree. I'm jotting some notes down here for this podcast. I really like the opportunity and need for dentist to dentist collaboration. You know, and David, I'm curious though, you know, so with that, I mean, if we talk about more consolidation, but at the same time, lost efficiency and maybe even, you know, less advantageous insurance reimbursements, I mean, that seemingly is going to squeeze DSOs and, 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 and corporate practices just as much or more maybe, I mean, because a lot of those models are kind of a mill, you know, and, and if that's not going to be sustainable uh, when, when things come back to normal, what does that look like? And, and who are, who are going to be the leaders, I guess, and who's going to be best positioned? Do you think? Well, yeah. So, so the consolidation, uh, unfortunately also involves the government uh, because the government, behind closed doors are all clapping their hands gleefully saying, never let a crisis go to waste. Trust me, they are. Mm -hmm. Um, When they have a chance to take a bigger grab, a bigger footprint of the private sector, which they already have a big footprint in healthcare. And and you can say that uh, the insurance companies uh, were were originally originally against the Affordable Healthcare Act and all of a sudden then they were on board. Well, how does that happen? Okay, there's some stuff going on. So I'm just saying the same thing's gonna happen here. The government, because we consider in this country now that healthcare is a right, uh, then the government's going to step in and it's going to make sure that people have quote access to healthcare. Now you can define what access means. We know that's uh, different than actually actually having having care, but they're going to they're going to do it. So consolidation means the government will get get in step. Uh, they'll 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 collude with insurance companies. Yeah, I said it. They'll collude. Um, those that have capital, those that have group practices, those that have leverage and can play ball with them. That's where it's going to come. Now they'll make sure that there's there's enough profitability, but what's that mean for for people right now that are used to uh, a certain certain compensation because they've been risk-taking entrepreneurs in the space? Uh, you know, four weeks ago, uh, you know, a lot of dentists, not all, but a lot of dentists were doing pretty well. Uh, you know, soloists, and I think now it's not going to be that way. So you're going to have to collaborate, or you're going to be under the employment of these bigger conglomerates that are going to have to create the efficiencies. Uh, they'll, 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 you know, they'll get, they'll get help from the insurance companies. They'll get help from the government. So it's going to be, it's going to be, you got to be big to play in that game, or you're going to have to be a real outlier with a very unique situation to remain solo. And I'm not saying that they can't, 
but but it's gonna be unique uh and so unless you're in that position or you know what that means to you i i think you just got to look at a landscape that's going to be completely different going forward that's great insight you know and that's something i hadn't really thought about I and mean, it really sounds like while dentists have been able to resist the the physician business model and i use the the term business in the physician world very very loosely uh, because i i mean i regard most physicians work for the federal government um you know, they do. directly or indirectly and dentists you know through avoiding really being kind of swept up into medicare and and the the federal and even most of the state insurance programs have, have been able to keep independent but to a large extent the reason why dentists have is because they haven't had the uh the regulatory pressures and, and all these other things that you're talking about that require a bigger fish to be able to handle the economies of scale and that's why you know the 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 local family doc you know who you know sole practitioner physician or pediatrician you know that is a that is like a, a yeti uh right. this day and age and and so it sounds like what you're suggesting is, and you got to think, I mean, people are going to have to have access to, to dentistry. And if dentists as solos aren't going to be able to do it, then either it's through consolidation and possibly, I guess, consolidation that's backed by the government. Yeah, I would, I would say so. What I can share real quick, guys, I had a conversation with Dr. Jason Smithson, who's been here. He's a, so he's in the UK. And I was asking him about this scenario. And he's a fee-for-service dentist there but they have the NHS. And he said, you know, you're an NHS dentist, you're making like 80% of what you used to make closed down because you work for the government, but they were making markedly less than the fee-for-service dentists like Jason and his group. So it seems like they're sort of a, a preview of what that looks like right now because he's shut down with sort of no lifeline, like a lot of dentists here in the US, so to speak. I know we other things. And then his, you know, colleagues who work for the government have a different lifeline just as you were talking just that was what came to mind we also talk a lot about wine but that was that was besides the point <laughs> so con concierge dentistry is coming is that a possibility huh it seems that way and david what uh, are there any tips or things that you think that people should be thinking about or anything that you're talking to your your clients and your folks about that you feel like the rest of the, the dental world hasn't thought about or the people should should start to, to consider? Well, in, in a real sense, I, I believe that the American standard of living that we've seen in decades past continue to increase and elevate. We've seen, you know, our kids or our grandkids certainly overall have, you know, better lifestyles and maybe to, to, to our, our uh, to, 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 to their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not, not, not to their benefit because uh, there's been you know, entitlement placed down because of our guilt. I think that American standard of living probably peaked somewhere around 2008, somewhere around that, that arena. We, we went into a recession in 2008, 2009, 2010, 11, 12, we started coming out of it. Then we've had, you know, eight, eight years of this bull run, every, you know, hot economy uh, that's been, been going crazy. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that and we won't go into that right now. But basically, if you were an entrepreneur or, or just somebody who wanted to improve your life or lifestyle by just putting a little extra work into it, whether you got extra jobs or you elevated yourself in your position or you went out and built businesses, if you were just halfway good at all, you, you could do well. You could do pretty darn well in most, most arenas. I, I think that's completely going to be the reverse going forward. And now, not to say people can't do well, but you're going to have to really gain the 
acumen of what a real business looks like and runs. Now, I will say that back when I was in practice, you know, I didn't have the metrics and the dashboards and the cash flow management that we, that a lot of us talk about today on the forums and that, you know, people like you and, and Jamie Amos and people that, that really helped Dennis figure that out, that's going to be the case going forward. So if you're going to remain relevant and sustainable, you've got to get a business mindset on. And I think, I think every, even small businesses are going to have to have some aspect of a CFO, chief financial officer, fractional, some sort, because the, the typical accountant that's, that accountants that do good jobs historically without a run rate and understanding what your numbers are, I think the, the predictability of what we knew in the past is going to be so different that if you don't really have your fingers on the pulse of what does it take to really maintain and, and have a profitable business, whatever that model is, that that's, that's where the people are going to fall apart coming out of this, this, uh, this short-term 90-day uh, pivot or I say protect what you've got through the, the lifelines that the SBA is putting out. Okay, that's going to get people through a certain point to whenever we open back up. But the ne next six months, I think it's going to be do or die for a lot of people. So you've really got to get a handle on what does your business model look like? Who do you bring back? How efficiently does your staff work? What's your culture, leadership, the things that we've talked about in the past, but you know, a lot of people said, ah, you know, I'm doing well enough. I'm treading water. It's not bad. Lifestyle's pretty good. Hey, it's all right. Not, not going forward. Amen. Right. That's we. That's what really the theme of our podcast, David. And it was important before. And I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's no longer something you should try to do. It's just going to be essential. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be relevant. And you're not going to be in business. And so the days of sort of doing things based on your gut and this feels right or it seems okay and not having a, a complete command of where where your revenue and where your profit is coming from and and not making good tactical decisions you know in a time of of stress and competition is just going to absolutely destroy those people and uh you know it's um you know it's an important topic for us and we always say to people i mean for me when we are advising clients you know one of the important team members is is the cpa and the financial planner you know to go out and know that what you're going to do, whether you're hiring an associate, bringing on or terminating a PPO or expanding your office or bringing on a partner, all these things, you can quantify those decisions and they're not quite as scary or at the end of the day, it's not as surprising. You know, listeners have heard me say a bunch of times, if you're not doing that kind of legwork, then you're just choosing what's behind door number two. And uh, until that door opens up, you have no idea what it is. And uh, while, you know, we've talked a lot about, and, and I do in my practice when we're negotiating agreements and leases with landlords about the strength of dentists and dentistry and how low the default rates are on, uh, on leases and business loans. And, you know, maybe that will continue, but, you know, just not defaulting is not okay. You know, um, and barely getting by is not why people have, have spent so much time and invested so much money to practice this profession that, you know, to thrive, you really are going to have to be focused and do all those things. And just to show up and bumble through uh, is just going to crush you in, in what's to come, I think, David. I'll, yeah. also add in, I'll just add in a personal story. You know, we had the one of the most popular OBGYNs in the city of Philadelphia for our two children and you know she would bounce around these rooms like a pin like a pinball she's about my age really just awesome you know but we'd get there we'd wait two hours things would be discombobulated but her care was great it was and she was not 
she did not need to know about anything, how anything wrong, except how anything wrong, except treating us. And that's like dentistry, like you just described, an outlier who wants to do it on their own or take it off your plate completely. Right now, the dental industry prior to this, I feel like it was becoming a little bit like the restaurant industry of a lot of risk. You know, you had to know your business game inside and out. And I don't think they told dental students this. They told them about doing good crown prep, but how to charge for the crown prep, how to present the crown prep. So I think this is just this sort of DVR speed. They put this on DVR speed times four, and now it's here when ACV happened. So when ACV after the coronavirus happens, May 1st, June 1st, July 1st, that's the world. The, the, that slow trickle into that world, I think, has ended. And I think both of you guys are just right to share that. And, you know, I'll use a term for Rob that Rob uses. This is all about awareness. And, you know, this was a maybe, you know, I know, David, we would keep you the whole two hours if you told us, if we asked you about the stock market and other stuff. But, you know, there was signs of this happening. It wasn't the coronavirus that made this happen, but the coronavirus was this straw camel back thing where now we're going to plunge into this world uh, afterwards. So I, I'm totally with you on that with some great insight of like get a CFO for your business and collaborate with people in the corner. So people aren't hearing us say it's, it's hopeless, it's useless. It's just saying that if you want to go and be a private practice dentist and run your own, run your own dental practice, it's going to be different than what it was before we were grounded here in dentistry. Yeah, I think I think everybody's going to have to decide, you know, quickly in the next few weeks where you want to be. What's what's really important to you? I mean, do you have a real passion for the treatment of patients? I mean, if you love that, but you really don't care about the business, then 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 acknowledge that, and that's okay. Then then find a way to collaborate with people that are really good in the business that you like. You can build a, a culture with, and then you be that awesome technical person and then you have others that are saying you know what I really don't really care if I do another crown prep in my life but you know I actually like serving people and patients I love to see things work well well then you're the business-minded people you've got to collaborate I don't think any one of us not very many I should say have the ability to do both to be that the technical uh, person who's really good at that and also run the business it's just it's too much to, to take under one one uh, umbrella you, totally it's really a time to you've got to, you've got to divide and conquer, but then collaborate back together again to make this work uh, in synergy. I'll be interested to hear what uh, what Jamie Amos has to say about about you know startups and the young dentist because he's you know he's so good at that, and I'm you know I've got my take on that. And I'm not gonna, I'm not going to spill it here, but I want to hear what he has to say uh, in a few minutes too about how how he's going to pivot there because I think there's some huge pivoting to be done in the startup arena. And I will say this, I'll, one of the, my favorite nachos asked this, and we'll do a couple peppering questions, and it happens to be Rob specifically for the speaker, because Dave won't be here at the end. Um, just to put on one of your David Phelps hats that you know some people might not know, someone had asked us, one of your favorite investments is in turnkey single family homes. What do you think will happen with people who've invested in type of these investments? I know that could be a long answer, but I just want yeah. to acknowledge Yeah, it. yeah. What do you I'll think? try to keep it really short. Well, first of all, I'll realize that um, this particular reset, I'll just call it a reset that we're going through, um, is totally unprecedented. Uh, in past where we had recessions and economic cycles, they were precipitated by something in the infrastructure. Not to say that we don't have or have not had or still don't have issues in the infrastructure. I've, I've said for the last three, four years that there's issues that are gonna cause and something will trigger it. We didn't know it would be a virus. So we have a government mandated shutdown of the eco economy. I, I mean, I've, I've never seen that in my life and I don't know back back uh, you know, 100 years ago if, if anything was like this. So it's totally different. I will say that, that basic shelter, human shelter, houses, uh, good houses, uh, not expensive houses, blue collar houses, there's always gonna be need for them, always a need. So if I had to pick an alternative investment that was a bread and butter 
to me, which, which is what I grew my portfolio on, it was single family. Now we do other things than that. And there's other aspects of looking at different, different pros and cons of commercial and risk factors there. And certainly in this, in this arena, uh, but we're going to a new normal. Um, I just like tangible assets because no matter what the economy is doing, and even in this case where everything is deflating, everything's deflating, uh, what has a run rate? What has a run rate where, where people will want to still at some level always want to use that product? And I would say single family houses, is, is, is my, my bread and butter winner going across Orient, the board. Thanks for answering that. To orient everyone, all these awesome people watching and listening, Rob and I will hang around for the end and, and go through questions that didn't get answered. I just know David won't be here at the end because you have some. So thanks for answering that specific David question. Rob, I'll let you wrap up with David. Yeah, I, uh, thanks for taking the time, David. This is uh, it's great stuff. And you've given me some different things to think about. You know, even all the conversations I've had, uh, definitely some some new takeaways. And I think you know, the, the importance of collaboration and, uh, and really focusing on the business and, and not, uh, not just showing up anymore, that that's not going to work. And uh, I'm starting to think about who my concierge dentist might be, uh, I guess. Uh, but uh, awesome stuff. And uh, thank you so much. And maybe we can get you back on the show again uh, for a, a full episode after we uh, stop talking about COVID every week. <laughs> And thanks, David. And for all of our panelists, just share with us if someone says, hey, I want to reach out to David, how would they do that? Freedomfounders.com is probably the best best place to go. Or uh, my my awesome executive assistant, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at freedomfounders.com. Great. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thank thanks, you, guys. David. Have a good day. Safe. Paul, awesome stuff. You know, this is uh, this is why we're doing this. You know? Yeah, this is great. This is great. These, like, you know, these these really digestible, not to use a nacho term, chunks of information that people can just really start to think, think about for awareness. And I'm jotting down some great takeaways here I'll share at the end. So awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just also curious, I mean, it's like, are we looking at really dentistry becoming more like, uh, like physician practices in terms of government having more involvement and, and taking the lead. And I guess, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think this changes on and I'll, I'll and maybe, you know, even because it's part of Jamie's world, with building out offices, you know, I, and I'll wait till the end and I'll go through some of the questions. There's a lot of questions about this PP and what we have to do to our offices. And it's still in a TBD to, to be determined, but it's something we need to think about because that can really, that will start to put us on a trend to one of those answers. PPE, TBD. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that. Yes, I like that. All right. So uh, our next uh, guest, a uh, good amigo who's been on the show a few times with us. Uh, the founder and CEO of Ideal Practices, a dental practice startup consulting firm and host of the Dentistry's Ideal Practices podcast. Uh, welcome, amigo, Jamie Amos. Thank you guys for having me. Great to be back. Huge honor to be here. There's just so much happening and so much to talk about. And I've already loved this, the conversations that are that are kicking off. Can you guys hear me okay? Just yeah, want to do a little great. sound check. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. It's a tremendous honor. Uh, very happy to be back with you guys and excited to share some concepts, some ideas, some opportunities, and some twists and turns that can help pe keep people safe. Yeah. So, Jamie, um, obviously, I think uh, I think most of us that are in the industry now are realizing that things are going to change uh, after after things return to normal or whatever that might be, you know, post COVID, um, and you know, trying to predict what that's going to be and how can people position themselves for that, that post-COVID dental world. Obviously, you are very uh, committed and passionate about startup practices. I've had a number of conversations with clients about 
you know, the, the age old debate, should I buy a practice now uh, post COVID or should I do a startup? Uh, and I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts and, and insight are uh, on, those, uh, on those questions and really where you see startups and where, what place they'll have in the dental world when things start to return. Yeah, great. I love the topic. Of course, I, I love startups, especially because of the impact on communities and the ways that startups give doctors an opportunity to pre-plan and determine the reputation they want in a community, the kind of impact they want to serve with. Startups are incredible. I, I mean, through and through. Uh, we can talk all day and all night about startups, but uh, right now I want to be able to share three I guess opportunities that exist specifically, I'll speak right to associate dentists, doctors who are thinking about stepping into practice ownership who are not yet practice owners because the, the opportunities that I'm seeing right now for startups as we're forecasting forward 12 to 18 months, the opportunities right now are quite literally better than I've seen in a decade for startups. So we can talk through these three opportunities if you wanna talk through these. Um, but I also, you know, while talking about opportunities, I also want to make it really clear. I know there are a lot of people struggling financially. I know there are people even watching this or listening to this recording, but watching live. There are people struggling maybe with health. Uh, my heart goes out to you. I, I can't even imagine what you're dealing with. Uh, so first, I, I just want to say uh, I'm, I, I feel for you. Thanks. And with that, I think it's important to remember there are opportunities now that all of us can capture um, I, I'm actually one of them. My, my family has been affected by COVID, um, not in a health way, but we've been on quarantine for three weeks. We're, we're actually, we're now in our third week of uh, legally not allowed to leave our house. <laughs> so there's some interesting news about the Amos family. My wife, Lisa, my son, Mason, and my daughter, Sienna, uh, we've been stuck in this house. But today, for me, today is actually kind of a special day amidst all these questions and chaos that we're all dealing with uh, tonight. I get to have a daddy-daughter date with my daughter. <laughs> Even though we can't leave our house, uh, my daughter and I agreed that we were going to do a daddy-daughter date on the balcony overlooking a really cool view, and we're just going to take the opportunity uh, to sit down. And I haven't done this in like a year or two. I even remember when she was little taking her to Chick-fil-A for a daddy-daughter night. But now uh, we're going to do this tonight. So it, almost as soon as this interview is done, I'll be getting some dinner ready with my daughter. I, I, did, I did a video recently, and you know, we have kids the same age, and we're never going to get this opportunity again, good, bad, or indifferent, and yep. embrace it. And I you know, tried to do some interviews with my uh, daughter and sort of saying, like, you know, we're, you know, a lot of things going on. We're not stuck at home. We're safe at home. So I always appreciate the Jamie Amos insight to remind us to embrace uh, the positivity in the midst of all this chaos and broken nachos. And yeah, broken nachos. Listen, there, there are opportunities in every situation, and it's up to us as individuals to, to find them and then capture them. And I think it's a little like that right now for startups. Right now, for, for doctors considering startups, there are opportunities that you can capture now amidst all the questions and the confusion where if you want to step into practice ownership, uh, here, here are three of the topics that we can talk through if this will guide us through well. Uh, first is on the topic of real estate. There are some incredible probably once in a lifetime opportunities for real estate specifically for startups that we can talk through. Second is construction costs, construction budgets, one of the biggest line items in startups. We can talk about construction costs. And then thirdly, we can talk about something uh, that, that's called the searching patient. It's a new patient opportunity that we can talk through that, that is going to change everything about dentistry. Really important that we talk about that today. So how's that sound for three topics? Yeah, run, run it down there, Jamie. Okay, cool. So uh, first of all, 
let's talk to the first one, real estate. I was, I want to share with you guys that deals with landlords in the next three to nine months will be deals that some of us tell our grandkids about. I, I mean, some of you were around in 2008, 2009 after the last financial mess. I know I was. And I remember there was this window of time where landlords were like begging for tenants, especially the stable tenants. And if you're considering opening a startup practice, that'll be you. If you're prepared, if you're ready to sign a lease and find a location, if you're at that stage in the next, say, three to nine months, you're going to have some really powerful opportunities. What does that mean? Uh, well, probably means something like free rent. You're, you can get more free rent because the landlord is going to need you. You're probably going to get more opportunities for things like free construction. Um, let's call this what it is. There is going to be some financial mess, right? I mean, Rob, you've seen it. Paul, you've seen it. The economists are all saying that the economy is going to be a mess for the next three to nine months, maybe. There are some businesses like maybe nail salons or maybe hair salons or pizza shops. They're not going to make it right? I mean, some of these small retail establishments that maybe weren't on solid footing to begin with, they're not going to make it, which means the landlords are going to be out a few months of rent from this pizza shop who couldn't afford to pay rent. And then the landlord is going to be out a tenant and he's going to be hoping, dreaming of having a stable tenant in there. The associate dentists who are considering startups should remember thinking forward a few months, there will be this window of time where you'll have an opportunity to negotiate with landlords for what I see as once in a decade, maybe once in a lifetime opportunities, free rent, free construction. So that's the first one. Sound good? Well, Jamie, too, I, I think, you know, not just the pizza places and the nail places, but I hate to say it, there's going to be some dental practices in there, too. Sure. And, you know, so distressed assets, whether you're talking about purchasing a, mm -hmm. a practice that is distressed or uh, taking over a lease or going into space that the uh, the practice went out of business is going to be, it's just a matter of how much it's going to be. It's going to be out there. Um, and how many of those opportunities there will be. And I'll just add in too, not always, you know, this, we all, I've been a big sports fan my whole life. And sometimes an athlete will retire like a Barry Sanders at a time where you're like, man, I didn't know that guy was going to retire. And you don't know what other isn't going on in other people's lives, but sometimes their transitions become your opportunities. So that's why it just is continued important to talk to people in your neighborhood because for all you know, maybe there's a dentist who's 58 years old who has saved millions of dollars and he's practicing because he wants to and now he says, I'm going to retire and it doesn't have to be necessarily for some, you know, bankruptcy or problem. And that's why I just think this theme of reaching out to your neighbors, not physically, but virtually in the dental industry, and maybe talking to the guy down the street who you've never spoken to in 30 years, but now you have something to talk about. Dentistry has been grounded like me as a kid, such a good topic of conversation, right? So I just wanted to add that in, in that I see all those points from pizza shops, distressed dental practices, and sometimes maybe just some dentists ready to retire their smaller practice. There may be some ready to retire. I actually, I may be a bit of a contrarian here. I think there will be even more dentists not retiring than ever before. Could be dead wrong. That's really not my my world. Just as I'm thinking forward, there will be quite a few senior doctors who were getting ready to retire, who are looking at their 401ks or their investment that accounts, and they're saying, you know what? Oh, I now need to work another five, six, 10 years to recover. I, I, I think because of that, there may not be enough practices for young doctors to purchase. Uh, frankly, personally, I, I feel very fortunate at Ideal Practices. 
I think the next 12 to 18 months as a consultant for startups, I think we're going to be able to help more people establish and plant their flag properly, the right way, really well, maybe more than ever before. I was actually just reviewing some numbers with my team. We, we uh, not to give in inside baseball, but just this month was one of our best months as a company ever. And it's because doctors are wanting the right path and the proven process to open a startup. So anyway, real estate is one of the big opportunities that I think we should all keep our eyes on. Jamie, if I could just for a second, because I do want to just speak to this without kind of spoil alert for what my take is on things. But I think a lot of people believe that, you know, DSOs and private equity are just going to take over and this is going to be the end of the, the owner operator. And I don't share that opinion. I mean, all the things that we're no. talking about that you just said are specific to owner operators needing to make it work. And I'm not convinced that, uh, that people that are in the dental industry strictly as an investment vehicle, that those people are going to put in the blood, the sweat and the tears that's needed to get through this next little bit. So when I talk about distressed assets, some of those distressed assets could be sort of that mid-level corporate group practices that are no longer in the game. And yep. for me, and I've, I've had this conversation with, with people, that, uh, clients that are trying to anticipate what they're going to do in the next six to 12 months, I still feel strongly, and I know this is your message really as far as vision and, and taking the type of practice that you want, and that's how a startup really is the true expression of that. You know, I, I think that people need to be careful about just stumbling through and buying the closed DSO office or picking up that DSO list or picking up that patient just because it's there and it's cheap and it's built out. Like that, that's cheaper in the short term and, and it's great if it's otherwise congruent with what you're looking to do. But, you know, I feel like now is not the time to just find you know, just any old thing and, and that the importance of really putting your stake, your flag in the ground, as you said, I think, Jamie, and doing it the right way and your way is going to be more important now than ever. So taking over some failed operation is, while it may seem appealing, at certain levels from a, uh, a cost and construction standpoint, we're going to segue into your next one. Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean that just because it's cheap, it's good. Can I, I, I'll even jump on board with what you're saying. For, so for number two, related to construction, to your point, I, I forecast, I don't want to predict because maybe I'll be wrong, but I forecast that new construction dental office uh, the new, new startup dental construction will be cheaper than existing practice establishments. Here, here's what I mean. Related to construction, uh, we're about to see a dramatic drop in construction prices across the country. In some markets, we're going to see decreases of about 50%, which is jaw-dropping. I, I mean, if you think about what that means, if you've got a startup, let's just do math. What does that mean? You've got a startup that might cost you two hundred or even three hundred thousand dollars of construction. Imagine saving fifty percent of that in your budget. Imagine what that does in terms of preparing your startup to launch well. Imagine what that does for your personal finances. Why does that happen? Well, we saw this happen. Rob, Paul, anybody else who was around in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we all saw this. There were contractors who had a lot of employees, and when times are good, contractors can raise their prices. When times are bad, contractors have the same number of employees and their prices have to drop just to make payroll. 
and uh, at least I know I personally saw instances of this happening where there were close to 50% drops in construction prices. We're gonna see that again. Who can benefit from that? Well, for better or for worse, I hate saying it, but established practices won't be able to benefit from that. Established practices will still have their uh, their, their their existing burden of loan debt and everything else established that they still have to manage, and that's okay. But a startup will have the opportunity to capture these once-in-a-lifetime discounts on, on construction, and that window will pass too. That's an opportunity that will be here for just a few months, and then as prices normalize, our country will come back, our economy will come back, those contractors will normalize their payrolls and normalize their prices, but as a startup dentist, you're going to be able to capture these incredible Jamie, savings on construction. A, a stock at a good price. I'd like to ask you, because this is great insight you're sharing with us. And I know this is such a big part of your life. You've been an awesome you know, friend, speaker, sponsor, dental nachos. I know people who have utilized what you guys do. Been so thrilled with it. But you know, you're building these dreams with people, right? But the most common question scrolling by, asking by, and the one that I say is the question is, what are we going to have to do to our dental facility to make it operational safety wise. I'm asking you totally a forecast hypothetical. Have you heard anything about what a a practice, let's say someone says I'm ready to build my five op practice, anything that new for the ideal practice team where man, we got to put in a HEPA filtration. We got to put in negative pressure. We got to do this. Any insight into that that you've heard? Yeah, really good question. I don't have construction specifics. There, there are no laws or regulations or ADA guidelines on that yet. Th- those things may come, and like anything in life, there will be changes that come. Like you know, amalgam filters didn't exist 20 years ago, right? Right. Or yeah. <laughs> so, and now some cities mandate that you have a, an amalgam an amalgam filter. So yeah. things will change. That 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 is true. Things will change. Construction guidelines will change. Permitting requirements. Those things will adjust, and and the world will adapt to those things. Posted because you're on the inside doing it. Because I'm just. Very yeah. interested because I think dentists are talking about recovering and getting back to work. All great conversation, but someone has to let us on this golf course with our golf clubs of play. And right now, yeah. we are not allowed. And yeah. I, the guidance that we have right now has been been problematic because even yeah. right at this moment, if you go to treat an emergency patient that you determine is an acute emergency, there's yeah. no guidelines as to how to protect yourself. And yeah. I really feel they're leaving dentists hanging in this second, in this moment in this day, and I'm just really trying to ask anyone to get insight, and I appreciate you sharing, but if you get any more information, let us know. I do have some insight on that topic in general, but but I also wanna say, uh, for people who wanna see these, uh, these, these changes happening in real time and keep up with my team, we're launching a new podcast. It's a, it's a masterclass. It's called the Startup Dentist Podcast. Uh, if, if anybody wants to go, and you can reserve a spot. We're giving it away for free. It's a masterclass that's a multi-series masterclass that's an audio version at startupdentistpodcast.com. And that will cover things like what are the real estate deals that are happening and how are those negotiations rolling out? Um, What is this 12 to 18 month timeline for startups? Or if you're an associate, you're thinking, you know what? I know the world's going to come back. I'm adaptive. I I can dodge and shake with the new realities that come into dentistry. I'm going to own a practice and yeah, heck yeah, I want to start up. Let's do this. For those doctors, you can absorb that information, startupdentistpodcast.com. The top experts in the world, the top consultants in the world are talking just about startups on construction, on equipment, on marketing, you name it. So what about this third topic then? Excuse me, before you roll into the third one, there's something that you said that I want to really kind of circle back and and, and underline for for our folks. 
I think that there are a lot of misconceptions that uh, it's going to be easier for established and large practices to weather the storm. Uh, maybe in some cases, but I'm not going to say that from a blanket standpoint, that's the case. I mean, I think that big practices with big overhead are, are more challenged today than a, a lean focused startup. I, I yep. kind of, you know, I, I liken overhead to like accumulating crap in your house, you know, yep. like you don't move every few years. Like you, like you just have all this stuff that's been sitting in like some shelf in the, in the basement for two decades, you know, and it's like a, it's like a, a draft of something that never even got done in my case. Right. But, uh, but, but, but what people don't realize is like those groups, they've really accumulated overhead in the same way. You know, the, the equipment leases for the CT scan and all sorts mm -hmm. of other funky, cool stuff that, you know, when cash flow was, was rocking, it was no problem. Yep. But now if those, uh, those practices with all that overhead are trying to downshift so that they have money to spend in the ways that they're going to need to through marketing, uh, and, and other opportunities that exist, they're not able to do that. You know, a, a startup can be lean. You don't have a lot of people. You don't have uh, high payroll. You, you, you start it fresh. It, you just moved into the new house and you haven't cluttered it up yet. That's the startup, right? And all that clutter though, there's a cost associated with that. And the clutter is analogous in my perspective to the established practice, whether you're talking about overpaid bloated salaries, you know, where, you know, your people have been with you for 30 years and, and, and that's okay that you've decided to give them increases every year. Paul, we see that with practice transitions all the time. Like the older doc says, you know what, it's just easier to pay them than, than to start over. Right. Yeah. But you don't have all those types of sort of all that kind of baggage and, 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 and overhead. Thanks Rob. Before Jamie gets into his third topic, uh, I hope Mrs. Nacho's not um, listening because you've earned me a clean out of my drunk drawer because there's one drawer in our home that I promised to clean out when the time is right. So I think a pandemic quarantine has done it. So now, I, now I'm going to have to do it. I hope she's not listening. But tell us Mr. about- Mrs. Nacho put me up to that, Paul. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Tell us oh. about the third topic, Jamie, with searching patients. Well, I think this, this, the third topic even relates to what you guys are talking about with moving into a new house. When you move into a new house, you can establish new protocol. When you move into a new, you don't call it protocol with your kids and your wife, but, or your, your husband, but you get the point. You don't call it protocol. You don't call it systems. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my wife loves it when I say, hey, we're going to develop new protocol for the, what? <laughs> um, so uh, it, it, with a startup, on this third topic, searching patients. What I'm about to say uh, how should I say this in a politically correct diplomatic way? I don't like saying what I'm about to say, but it's true. Uh, I take no joy in saying what I'm about to say, but it's fact. The number one search criteria that patients will use to rank dentists for the foreseeable future will be sterilization and infection control. Mm. Establish, please hear me very clearly. If you're an associate dentist considering a startup, you will have a massive opportunity to serve your community who will be begging to understand how your practice will keep them safe. This is not to say that established practices can't do this, but kind of like the clutter in your old house. There are old habits, there are old systems, there's existing reputation for every 
established practice. Practices that are five years old or older, I predict that the startups who move into towns with practices that are five years old or older will have an enormous benefit of attraction for patients. So let me prove it to you. Uh, here in my community, we just had an announcement uh, two days ago from somebody who said, uh, we don't have um, Instacart or uh, Uber Eats in our town, like to deliver the food from the grocery store or deliver the food from the restaurant to your house, right? We don't have that here. However, suburbs. one guy was- like, Sounds like the suburbs, hey, Rob. <laughs> Sounds like the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so this guy says, we're starting this right here in town for our little community. I'm going to start it up. It'll be on Friday. You can order whatever you want. I'll deliver it right to your house. It was fascinating to watch this roll out in real time. Fascinating. Uh, instant, there was like a brief burst of like, hooray. Like everybody online was like, yay. But then instantly the tide shifted and everybody said, well, whoa, 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 wait. How are you going to keep your drivers safe? Are they going to wear gloves when they come to my house? Are there masks this? How are you going to sterilize the pizza box before it gets to my front door? Are you going to leave it on the steps? Are you going to walk it up? How do I know that this driver has been tested for COVID-19? These are the questions, not just in dentistry, but these are the questions that are going to change our entire country. These are the questions like, guys, think about this, like be prepared. As a startup dentist, you're going to be able to step into practice ownership and broadcast to your entire community. This is how we do it. Like you will literally be introduced to your community saying, this is how it's done. Whether it's this thermostat or, or, or this thermometer or this PPE, mm -hmm. every patient on the planet is going to be prioritizing dentist choice. They will search for dentists based on PPE, based on infection control, based on serialization. So hey, the reason I take me to Jordan to see if he'll let you play that song in the background. I hope people got that joke. I went, well, that, that was Montel Jordan's famous song from the nineties was this is how we do it. So I, uh, I do like that, Jamie. I get it now, Paul. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so Jamie, it's, it's, but, it's cool. So what you're suggesting maybe is if, you know, if you have a negative pressure room in your startup and all these other, you know, post COVID bells and whistles uh, and, and you have the ability to market that uh, sounds like an edge over your competition. Yeah. I mean, listen, the prediction is that there will be entire marketing campaigns built just on infection control. You watch, you watch over the next six months to two years, entire uh, trainers, entire consulting companies are going to be built on this specific topic. Startups will be in a very unique position. If you're an associate dentist, you're going to have 12 to 18 months starting today. You get started now, then you have 12 to 18 months to build your systems, build your protocol, build your team training. So when your employees get hired, before they get their first paycheck, you're training them on how to communicate this to patients. Here's one of the complications and why it can't work so well for established practices. Again, I take no joy in saying that it's not going to work as well for established practices, but this is one of the reasons why I love startups, because you can give birth to DNA. The day you launch your practice, you give birth to the DNA. All the culture, all the protocol, the trainings, the habits inside the practice. Let's pretend an established practice starts marketing, hey, we're safe, we're clean, we're sterilized. We use the 10 protocol systems from the ADA. Well, let's pretend that happens, right? That's gonna happen. If a patient calls and says, hi, I just wanna make sure I'm, I'm reading the ADA website. I wanna make sure that your practice is one of those 10 new protocol for infection control. If your team is not a trained and equipped and capable of handling all those questions, there's gonna be disconnective messaging and you're gonna lose incredible reputation opportunities in your community. So. There's going to be a big opportunity for associate dentists who do startups to give birth with DNA for this 
frankly, it's going to be a tsunami. <laughs> There's going to be this tsunami of patient awareness for infection control and sterilization. So you get the point. But searching patients is a big new patient opportunity I that I want everybody to know. About. I love infection control and I actually have you to thank thank uh, for introducing me to an awesome friend and sponsor, Linda Harvey, years mm-hmm. ago, who helped us. And I'm very passionate about infection control prior to all this. And that's why I encourage dentists to not go rushing back if you don't have all the right answers and to get your system set first. I'll use an example of my daughter's online school. As soon as the school every school was canceled, they'd rushed to do online school and they tried hard, but I think they would have done better if they just said a week off, they give kids weeks off for anyone, take a week off, sit with their teachers and get their system set and protocols. I do use that in my family a lot. And I think it's the same thing here. And I'm just, I want to just repeat what you said, whether you're established practice, uh, a startup, make sure you get your system set before you unleash it. Cause you can't walk back a problem and, and you might be trying with good intentions, but don't rush out there. Not prepared. What I'd like to ask as you wrap up with Jamie, do you and Rob though, it, for both of you. So I think what you share, Jamie is awesome as always and inspiring. Actually, do you mind if I give a little disclaimer for all the stuff I just said? Yes. <laughs> um, Okay, so of everything I just said, I'm talking about these three opportunities, right? Opportunities that are uniquely specific to startups for associates who want to get started. Now, you will have this window of time to capture these opportunities. But here's my disclaimer. My disclaimer is there is a world of difference between opportunism and opportunities. Like, I think we as a profession need to be careful because we will be one of the professions who will stand tall and will stand strong and will continue to be one of the most respected professions in the country. I wanna make it really clear that there's opportunism, which means you're taking advantage of people, you're, you're unfairly making a, a, a win-lose negotiation in the process. There's opportunism that is beneath the industry, that is where the vultures live. They will not exist, they will fail, but there are opportunities. And I want every associate dentist to know there are real six-figure and seven-figure opportunities with startups that did not exist six months ago that will exist for the next three to nine months. And then that window will be closed. And those opportunities are fair to capture. And if you capture the opportunities, you're gonna benefit your landlords, you're gonna benefit your community and stabilize the small business community where you live, where you wanna open your practice. You're gonna benefit the contractors who you help hire in this process. And you're gonna benefit the team members and the employees when you communicate to your patients how you can serve them with this new infection control standard. So maybe a little bit like my daughter, <laughs> my daughter and our, our, our date night, our daddy-daughter night here, uh, it, which is just in like an hour. Uh, with, our, with my date night, there is stress and confusion and quarantine and lots of stuff that will change. But there are opportunities where we can, we can take the opportunities if we keep our eyes open, but we have to take those opportunities because those opportunities will pass. And if we take them, they could literally benefit us for the rest of our lives. Kind of like, I'm probably going to make a lifetime memory with my daughter tonight uh, because we took the opportunity. So awesome message, Jamie. I love that. You know, stay clear of opportunism and opportunities. Also, your date night starting an hour. Sounds like you're going for the early bird special. Smart move in this tough economy. <laughs> yeah, apps are half price here at my house. So right. there you go. As we wrap up with Jamie, Rob, I want to ask both you guys a real good question for the audience. Great. Startups, acquisitions, just share with me, maybe in 60 seconds or less, the banking and funding for startups. Where do you see that? What do you see happening with that? Both of you guys, the banking and funding for startups. Where are we at right now? Is it paused? And any insight on where it's going in, in a 60 second or less uh, kind of answer there? 
frankly, I was scared that funding would pause because that is required to get startups open. We have seen more funding in the last 30 to 60 days than literally any other 30 to 60 day time frame in the existence of ideal practices and any that I've seen in the last, I don't know how many years. So at least present current day funding, uh, the, the banks who understand dentistry are doing a really good job of keeping the, the gears of the economy continuing to move forward. So that, that's my take. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I've seen the same thing. I mean, uh, lenders are still in the space. I think, you know, what, what's really going to come down to when it comes to startups, Paul, is what, what David Phelps said at the outset, that it's going to be more than important than ever to do things the right way. And so, you know, we see people that do startups the right way. We see people that do startups the DIY half-assed way. Um, this is, you know, if, if people are hearing this and hearing the message that it's a great time to do a startup, that's awesome if that's the right thing for them. Uh, but you know, make no bones about it. This is not the time to do a, a sloppy startup or a startup that is not well-planned and uh, you know, that you just kind of hang out the shingle and hope the people will come. You know, the DIY, the quote unquote, the cheapest startup. Um, I mean, because that, that will not do well. And I, I could actually see a, a, a world from a, a lending standpoint where lenders even favor more so even than they are now people working with good consultants and a good team and making that a, a prerequisite to funding a loan just because they realize that yeah, yeah. they don't, they don't want to jump onto the, 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 DI the old school permission slip. You're going to need a permission slip. I like that. You're going to need well, a, the, the margin for error, you know, David Phelps had, had referred to it and Rob, you bring up a great point. The margin for error called like great term, the DIY startup. There is not enough margin for error with a DIY startup to learn as you go. There's this old phrase where people say, learn through trial and error. With a dental startup, you don't get that wiggle room, especially in the coming couple of years when things will be challenging. There will be even less wiggle room, but I can also assure you that the ones who do it the right way, I'm 100% sure based on what we saw this last time the economy had a big mess 10, 12 years ago, the, the startups that launch from here today, the ones who start now and capture this window of opportunity are going to see the best success stories that we've ever seen in dentistry, serving their communities at the highest level possible. Uh, and I mean this, check out Startup Dentist Podcast, startupdentistpodcast.com. So you can listen to the top consultants, the top insights specific to startups. That entire masterclass is made just for associate dentists. So if you're an established practice owner, it might not even be relevant to you. But you, if you're an associate, startupdentistpodcast.com. Do you mind if I, I made a list of uh, a little bit of inspiration related to, um, here, can I read this? Sure. Just real quick, and then we'll, yeah. and then I'll, I'll be done. Okay, Perfect. you can't see it, but here you go. It's your grand finale, like the fireworks, Jamie. I like it. So you're... Ready? Yes. Perfect. All right. This is simple. It's almost not dental related. It's startup and business related. Ready? Consider... If you're an associate dentist, you're thinking about a startup and you're like, oh, is this even possible anymore? Ready? Consider that during the financial crash of 2008 and 2009, ready? Airbnb was founded. Groupon was founded. Asana was founded. GitHub was founded. Uber was founded. WhatsApp was founded. Slack was founded. Stripe was founded. Pinterest was founded. Square was founded. And Venmo was funded. What? All those businesses came out of the last mess, but they had to get started. 
they had to like plant their flag and start moving forward when the opportunities were there because each of these businesses, all the ones that I just mentioned, you can't start those businesses now. Those windows have closed. So I hope that's encouraging to people. Uh, let's do this. We have got an incredible profession for those who want to do it with integrity, great character and values. The, the future is bright. I cannot wait to see what we accomplish. Thanks, Jamie. As always, just awesome, inspiring. Uh, someone reminds me of my energy, so thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Thanks, Jamie. And thanks, guys. Everybody, uh, yeah, definitely check out the Jamie's podcast. Jamie's podcast was the original inspiration behind uh, Paul and I doing our podcast. So way back when, took cues from Jamie and said, yeah, Jamie's podcast is cool. Let's do one too. So No, I think it was more like, dang it, if Jamie can do it, who can't? <laughs> I like that. that was awesome. <laughs> I heard Jamie doing. I said, Paul, we can't do this by ourselves. Like, let's do it together. <laughs> Jamie does the solo thing, and man, oh man, that can't be easy. Uh, but you and I could just wrap. But hey, you know, thanks for taking the time. Well, Jamie. thank you to both of you guys for what you're doing for the profession. Like you, you, your your optimism, your leadership, your clarity, and your availability. Like you're giving people insight and access into who you are. And the most encouraging words, optimism, is found at Dental Nachos like the Dental Nachos and the Dental Amigos podcast and Dental Nachos group, man, it's, it is a special place with a really special culture. Uh, so thank you guys for what you're doing. Thanks. Thank you, Jamie. And, uh, you know, everyone uh, listening to, I mean, Jamie's talking about that this is, you know, you only get one shot at this. And Paul, you know, we talk about these as being one transactions, you yeah. know, when you're doing a practice acquisition or a startup, you, know, you don't usually get a chance to kind of, you don't get a mulligan uh, normally in, in this, uh, in this setting. So, it's really important to do things right. And, you know, there was a, a question that was posted, which is going to, I think, a perfect segue, even though Jamie's not going to be able to answer it. We could segue this into our, our next uh, guest, uh, Dr. Desiree Yazdan. Um, and before uh, I introduce her, I'm going to read the question, uh, which is, you know, other than construction costs, there's a cost for patient acquisition. I've always been under the impression that it costs more to get a new patient than to keep an existing patient. And, you know, Paul, Jamie talked about, you know, character and individual values and really being real and how that's going to be important in the next wave here post-COVID. And, you know, I can't think of a better example in the dental world than our Amiga, Dr. Desiree Yazdan, who's coming back on the show. Uh, she was a previous guest uh, who is really the, the superstar when it comes to understanding what that really means to be real. And, you know, for people that haven't listened to that episode uh, on the Dental Amigos, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it again. You know, that very much that there's a difference between doing social media, you know, sort of the, the rote perfunctory way uh, versus doing it in a way that's really genuine and compelling. And our next guest, uh, Dr. Yazdan, does it the right way. So. Thanks, uh, Desiree. It's great to uh, well, have you back I'm on. I'm so happy to be here. So, yeah, um, it was funny. I was listening to his, and he's like, oh, you just get the one chance, right? The one chance to do this transaction and the startup, and you want to do it right. And it's like, I did it all backwards. <laughs> you guys kind of know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I would sure. definitely yeah. go with the way that he mentioned, but it's okay. I'm, I'm thankful for my experience. It made me a better business owner. Well, I mean, you may have done it the wrong way, but you, you got yourself out of the mess the right way and you're still doing it that way. And so, yeah. you know, those, those things, you did get a second crack, which a lot of people aren't able to navigate. Yeah. Um, certainly did. And so uh, Desiree, you know, obviously I think we're all 
so far in agreement that the dental world is going to look different post COVID. And so what are things that you are thinking about for your practice and things that you want to share with other practice owners as to ways to attract patients? And I think that question that was posted that I just read at the outset there to Jamie, you know, that it's too expensive or it's more expensive to acquire new patients and, you know, is it worth doing? Um, if you could speak to that and just generally what your philosophy is uh, in, in attracting, and not even attracting patients, but I think you really communicate and relate to people in the community and they become patients as a result of that, that genuine interaction. Yeah, I agree. I agree that everything's going to be different. Um, I think that I do a lot of cosmetic treatments, which a lot of them can be considered elective treatments. So, you know, are people going to want to spend the money on their elective treatments? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so I think in the terms of saying that now we need to talk to our patients who need the essential treatments in such a different way. Like, let's stop this, for example, when it's just a filling so that it doesn't get to the root canal, the buildup, the crown, the whole nine yards, right? Like, like, let's take care of this when it's small. You know what, you've got some decay, let's do some fluoride trays and fluoride treatments to get you back on track to help, you know, prevent these from getting worse if they're incipient lesions. So those are some things that come to mind as far as um, like practice changes and stuff. And of course, we need to talk about safety of patients and all that. Um, but as far as acquiring new patients, you know, social media is free. I'm all about using social Amber, media. You, I don't want to jump in your story, but just to orient the people watching here, you're such a great friend and resource and sponsor, someone I look up to. I mean, you have 150,000 Instagram followers. I have like 4,000. So pretty much the same. We're pretty much the same. But uh, my joke, or not my joke, is when you shared with Rob and I, and we, you know, they can listen to your episode, but you essentially had to build your practice back up from scratch. Yes. And using that as a jumping off point, because your story is amazing, you had scenarios happen in your acquisition where you had to build from scratch. This mm -hmm. is going to happen whether you do a startup or sometimes with practices post-COVID. So just share with us your strategies for doing that, even in light of what's happening today, and then just some evergreen social media stuff, because I just love that about your message. Yeah, okay, so you want a breakdown of basically how to build it up, right? Yeah, like if you're so, going back from scratch, what you could do yeah. while you're sitting at home right now. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. What I was getting into is there's no better time than right now to actually be on social media, right? You you don't have the gift of maybe being working in your practice and having that income, but you have the gift of time. So use that and get ahead. Be on social media. I think connecting with people, um, you know, ground up an audience. Ask the people who are already following you. Don't look so much to getting new followers. Give back to the people that have already said like, hey, I want to be here with you. I want to follow you. I want your content. Get in there. Ask them questions. What do they want to see? What questions can you answer for them? If you're struggling for content, then think of the 10 most commonly asked questions you get in your practice. Um, so when I first started my social media, it's because I didn't have a marketing budget anymore. Um, I barely could pay my rent in my office and I was just hoping I would keep my doors open another day. And so I turned to social media because it's a free way to market your business and I took it on to myself like I have to make this work. So I think even going forward, you know, one thing people might be cutting is marketing costs because it can be expensive. Google AdWords are expensive. Magazine spreads are expensive. Those types of things are expensive. Social media is free and I have not yet used 
social media and like I haven't paid really for Facebook ads more than just testing things. And that was just recently up until two months ago, everything I did was all organic. And even still, I'll say 99% of it is all organic. I'm just like testing the waters with different things. But, um, you know, you can acquire a patient. I know for me, the turnaround time from someone becoming a follower to becoming a patient is about four months. Um, so, you know, you're talking to these people, you're putting out content that's speaking to them. I call it your ideal patient. So your ideal patient is the person that you want to be marketing to, the person you want to be treating, the person you want to do procedures for. So you figure out who your ideal patient is, and then you create all your content to speak to that person. And then from there, right now, you're going to have to think, okay, well, does my ideal patient have their own business? Are they worried about or, or not? Are they, have they been laid off? Are they worried about their business or their finances? Is that something, you know, so how am I going to speak to them differently than I have in the past? Is money going to be an issue now or is it not a worry? Like what's and happening? I just want to pause so that people can digest that great information. I've been giving a lot. We showed your awesome seminar from last year. Uh, about starting your Instagram page. And then I've been talking a lot about patient communication because when we go back to work, the reality is there's going to be fewer patients for us to see for two reasons. One, there's going to be a certain amount of patients who are scared to come back to the dentist and they're not going to come back right away. And two, there's going to be people who either lost their jobs or are afraid to spend money. So it's mm -hmm. key to connect well with the patients in your chair. And that's, I, I happen to love implant cases. I know you love cosmetic cases and it's just a perfect example connect with the people who do want to spend this money, who do want to fix their mm -hmm. smile. I mean, my core group is a little different than yours. Mine are all like over the age of 60 and there's a 70% chance one of them's named Millie. But um, that Millie for me is somebody who, hey, they still need an implant overdenture and maybe their IRA had $600,000 and now the stock market's dropped and they have $400,000, but they still need teeth and they still are going to come and spend $40,000 on teeth. And I right. think dentists just have to focus on you do such a good job. Of, I know I now I'm forgetting Olivia. Olivia is your patient name? Are you? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Share it with our audience because, like, you know, we have Jamie talking about startups, David Phelps talking about consolidations. Now we have you. Uh, there's a platform of Instagram. Uh, and I just wanted to use that to pause our audience to say there will be patients, just not as many of them, but they start connecting with you before they come to the office. Yeah. And then when they come, they end up being true. I don't want to say like fans because that's the right, I guess like they're ride or die your business and you and your values and what you have to offer. Like they want you, they've already chosen you. It's not a guessing game anymore. And you always have to think that when one person comes in, they have a friend, a family member, a spouse or children that they will bring in as well. You know, when you break down how many new patients you get a month and then you look at the referral sources, the referrals are like, a hundred percent they're signing up for treatment right so and even through social media it's probably about like 85 to 90 percent conversion rates so you it's and it's all that connecting you do up front right it's all the you showing up you doing the work you m making those one-to-one -one connections where they are now like i want to be a part of what you have to offer and I, if i'm having the treatment i want it done by you so i think it's super important to be involved in social media right now think about your ideal patient figure it out who it, who it is that you want to actually work with, what procedures you want to market and promote and talk about and go from there.
Yeah, I, I would share that one of my favorite books is Never Eat Alone. And there's a big section on Paul Revere about how he told everybody the British were coming. And what I will share, and I really have you to thank for inspiring our office. You know, your social media account is more than just a new patient getter. It's a patient communicator. And we've utilized that over the past three weeks to communicate through Instagram and Facebook and give people messages about what's happening with our offices. And it's been a, an awesome free resource in the in a, in a crisis where you know Instagram stories your Instagram posts and I as I go through my feed you see all these dental offices posting messages of we're only open for emergencies this and that and I, I just think we kind of take for granted how would we have communicated with all these people during this coronavirus crisis if we have I'm sure your patients who feel like you know you have, have used your Instagram profile as, as a huge way to get the most updated uh, message from you is that is that accurate yeah, and you know, I had so many patients that messaged me saying like, thank you for closing your office. I was scared to come in for my appointment, but I didn't want to miss it because I wanted to like see you and have my treatment. But I'm so thankful that, you know, you made the choice so easy for me. Now I don't have to cancel. And it's like, yeah. you know, we scheduled them out. But I think even having that communication during this time now sets a higher rate so that when we do open, when it is safe to open, that they will be returning. Yeah. And we know, we know, and Rob, you know, oh, go ahead, Rob. Yeah. I think, you know, we've talked about this in a couple of different ways with different guests on the show. You know, the patients are getting their information from somewhere and, and they're getting their information about dentistry from somewhere. Why would you ever want them to get it from somewhere else other than you? Right. And, exactly. you know, and, and just, it's really, it's like, it's not even like, it's your obligation, your duty to them to educate them and to make them feel better. And so that what they're seeing on the news is not always the whole the whole picture. You are the, the professional, you're the dentist, you can tell them what, what the story is and, and what they should worry about or not worry about, when it's gonna be okay, how you're gonna approach it, how you're mm -hmm. going to make them comfortable with you know, what, what's happening post COVID. And as Jamie said, there's gonna be a premium probably placed on um, on people that are able to uh, to market their practices as being uh, less risky from an infection control standpoint. But I mean, again, you have the opportunity to get that message out. Why would you ever allow somebody else, especially in the media or government, to, to deliver that message to your patients? Right. I 100% agree that you're the best person to put that message out there for your community and for your patients. So 100% I'm on board with you guys. And I know you two, and I have to say, um, both of you, while our, many people are fans of Rob Montgomery and Desiree Yazdan, you guys have both been upstaged by Luna, your puppy, and your baby. And, you know, I think it's cool. Everyone's proud of your puppy, baby, and they want to know about it. And your practice is your puppy and baby. Maybe, you know, I always say having a practice, like having a three-year-old that never grows up forever. And now, you know, this is the time to showcase your practice, share about your practice. And I, I just think that this is what Dennis, right now you're sitting there, whether you're an associate, a practice owner, a dentist, and you can use video and social media to share your story, which you do so well, and to poignantly share the ups, the downs, the, the concerns, so that people are, are, can see it. And I mean, uh, to, you know, uh, Jamie was talking about the inside baseball thing. You know, I, I am not the guru that you are, Desiree, but I see that my stories have like twice the number of views now because everyone is sitting home, you mm -hmm. know, on their phones. That's why I'm saying right now is the best time. People are not working. People are working from home. So everyone has more time. And one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, it, social media really is about those connections and that engagement. And 
they give you the tools to engage with people. So use them. So you mentioned stories like, yes, be present on your stories and use the engagement tools, use the questions feature, use the polls feature, use those things to get your audience to connect with you. Because everyone, like, I don't even care if I'm not interested in the story. If I see a little question thing or a little slidey thing, I want to do it, right? Like I want to do it. So, and what happens is when you do that, the next time that person, let's say I go on Paul's page and I do the slider answer a question, the next time I get onto the platform, Paul's information, his post, his most recent live or whatever he's doing pops up first. So it plays to the algorithm that your content is important for me to see. And I start seeing that first. So then you're always top of mind, like dental nachos, dental nachos, dental, right? You're always top of, and that's what you want. You said something before, Desiree and Rob, uh, you know, social media is fun. It's free, but it's also fun. So I like Paul's I did, are people drinking more beer than wine? And I put a picture of them against each other. And uh, it was my like most voted on poll by far. And, you know, wine won two to one, Rob. So go to Rob's house. He's got a wine cellar. But it was just, you know, uh, then people type back bourbon. So, I mean, this is the time where any small bits of fun that you can do for people is just great. I mean, it's just a human thing, you know, add fun to this kind of really brutal time that we're going through. And I just think social media has let us do that. Did you want to say something, Rob? Sorry. No, I think, you know, the, the Desiree also does this very well, too. And it's important, as this is a recurring theme, the few guests we've had so far, that you, you have to do it right. You know, just merely doing social media and checking off the box is not really doing social media. You know, I'd really encourage uh, the listeners and the attendees to check out Desiree's Instagram uh, account and, and see how she does it. And obviously, you know, if she spends time on it, um, it's not – you know, something I can imagine it's more than a few minutes a day is spent on that. And what she generates is really meaningful, compelling content. And as a result, people want to read it. They want to follow it. And I think it's important to you know, kind of go back to what she said at the outset, which is it's, it, it kind of pre-screens your patients. I don't think that it's necessarily uh, a bad thing that you kind of find you know, a connection with your dentist or your patient through just a similar mindset and just you kind of like the same things and you have the same approach and you have the ability to really put yourself out there if you do it in a genuine way so that people do get to know you before they've even walked in the door. And so that can only be a positive thing. And, you know, it's just less aggravation, right, Paul? I mean, if, if you oh. could pick and choose your, your patient population and only bring in the people that you like, your day goes a lot smoother or it's a lot more profitable. Um, and that's really what, what Desiree does. I mean, you know who she is from reading her Instagram post. And uh, that's obviously attracts like-minded people and like-minded patients. Uh, but, you know, I really, you have to see it to really understand it. So I forget, what is your Instagram? Uh, that's so sweet. It's, it's just at Dr. Yazin. So D-R-Y-A. I want to give you a good moment. So even though Desiree has 150,000 followers, some people asked here, what is Rob's Instagram? So give your Instagram. Yeah, we're not as good with Instagram. Um, we're working on that. We do more of Facebook stuff. It's so it's at at uh, it's actually Dental Law on Facebook. I saw a good one from you today, though, in your stories about the uh, with with uh, your your team. And I think Desiree, um, you know, this is kind of you know to as we wrap up with you because you're such a great uh, resource, positive person. I love I love your what you you know what you write underneath your post too. Really great messages. But you know, you you and your awesome husband. Uh, our beards. We, I don't know what we're gonna do about our beards during this time, Desiree. But uh, you were in Philly, right? 
He shaved it off completely. Oh man, I might have to do that. I don't know. My team doesn't know if they can do it. I shaved a little. It looked worse. But um, uh, when you were in Philly, you went to um, uh, what's our best restaurant, Rob? Down in down near you, uh, um, top restaurants. It says I'm losing the name near. Zahab. I know what you're talking Zahab, about. Zahab. So like Zahab. you went to Zahab with your husband before you had the baby. So here's the thing. This is going to be your world. You're going to look up a restaurant, and if it says great for kids, now you want to go, right? Because you right, have a yeah. child, but before you probably were like, I don't want to do that. That's what my life, before we had kids, if it said this restaurant's great for kids, I went, well, I'm dating before kids. I don't want to go. But now I say, oh, great, I'll go. And that's everything here. But you said you're pre-screening people. You're getting the people in your culture and tribe. And it doesn't have to be everybody, but everybody out there can do that for themselves, including associates, guys. So it doesn't mean if you're just a practice owner, you're an associate. 100%. I, I actually just created um, an outline for a podcast for this. By the way, I do have a podcast. It's called, hey, what's your podcast? How's that? It's called The Social Dentist. So, and it gives you guys so much tools on um, social media, just in general, not necessarily Instagram, like it could be all platforms and also kind of like a little bit of business mindset shifts as well, but mostly social media. But I, I was, I get so many questions like, oh, if I'm an associate, what do I do? And I think the mind block is that everyone thinks they're in a different position. Oh, but I have a partner. Oh, I'm in a group practice. Oh, I acquired a new practice, but nobody wants to be on social media and I, I want to do it. And my advice is always, you need to do it. Like this is the way of the world. Even when I was in Philly, the other places that, you know, all those places you recommended for us to eat at, I would look them up on Instagram and see what the food looks like and see what, so it's almost like everyone bases their decisions based off of social media in the first place. Or if you're like, oh, hey, this person's really great at this. Then you go, okay, well, let me go see if they have social media. You look them up on Facebook or Instagram and see what it's like. See if you like the vibe, even like the closest yoga studio before this whole thing, right? So you want to build that into your thing. And right now everyone has time. So I just keep trying to encourage people to spend I don't care, two hours a week. You can devote two hours a week and batch your content so that when you are working full time, you have content that's built up that you can be posting regularly and showing up regularly. Well, you have awesome resources, Desiree. Thanks for doing this. Uh, if you're in the chat, people are asking questions about, we shared your podcast, but uh, it's an, always inspiring to have you on here. Thanks for being such an awesome- Thank you. And, and uh, uh, Thank you, Desiree. You're in this, in, leader in this space. And uh, tell your awesome husband hello and you're awesome. You will. Stay safe out there. Thank you, guys. So good to see you. We'll chat soon. Thank you, Desiree. Okay, bye. So everyone, that's at uh, Dr. Yazdan uh, on Instagram. And uh, I'm curious to check out the Social Dentist podcast. I'm sure it's going to be awesome uh, as, as all the stuff that Desiree puts out, Paul. I can tell you uh, it's our Instagram account is Your Dental Lawyer all one word all together. You had a great post today, Rob. You're, yeah. I, you're a great post uh, just to get us. Uh, so you guys are doing awesome here for our CE podcast. We've got uh, some great uh, tips already and we have uh, two panelists left and Rob and I will hang around and answer some questions once we get through the panelists because we're getting some great questions. So we can just go back and forth on those. Uh, we have uh, Jonathan Van Horn and Dr. Sonny as our next two guests. Yeah, so uh, our next guest is another uh, repeat amigo on the show. Uh, it's Jonathan Van Horn. Jonathan is a, a CPA, a dental-focused accountant, and uh, he represents uh, in his firm uh, existing practices. He helps people with uh, due diligence. Does a lot of work in the uh, in the startup space too. 
uh, certainly more than other CPAs that we see. And we have the, uh, the pleasure of, of working together with a lot of mutual clients. So uh, Jonathan, uh, welcome uh, Amigo and uh, thanks for being back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, we've had some great, uh, some great stuff so far uh, from uh, David Phelps and Jamie Amos and Desiree Asden. And, uh, you know, we're talking about what people should be thinking about going forward, you know, after post, you know, when we get to post COVID, this will end, uh, thankfully, uh, sooner than later, hopefully. But as somebody that's in the dental space, and, and representing and talking to dentists and dental industry people uh, on a regular basis, what are some changes that you are looking for, or some things that you think may occur and or things that people should really be thinking about when uh, the dental business resumes? Yeah, so one of those, um, you know, over the last, I guess, what today is, is Wednesday. Uh, my days all run together now. Uh, it's just today. Don't Normal with the TUES and the FRIs, right? It's all yeah. every, day, every day is a month. I had to look today. Like, is today Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. Today's the day we're doing the podcast. It's Wednesday, and I, and I had to like double check my calendar. Uh, the ninety seventh of March, so you know. it's it's a work day. Is that that's what day it is? Uh, you know, and you know, I, something like you know, four or five days ago, they came out with a bill that everybody's. Uh, um, going to be influenced by if they are a dentist, uh, work at a dental office or own a dental office. Uh, and you know, when everybody gets back into work, um, I'm assuming everyone that's watching this is going to be taking out a uh, the triple B loan, the uh, Paycheck Protection Plan, 7A, Section 7A loan from the CARES Act. Uh, and one thing that's going to be a little bit different about that is if uh, you're looking to get one of those loans that has a, uh, has a forgiveness piece to it, is you're gonna have to have more documentation than you're probably used to keeping up with. Uh, and so, you know, having someone in your office or having some type of a plan to be able to comply with the provisions of stock inside of the, of, uh, uh, the uh, I think it's section 1102 of the CARES Act, um, you're gonna need to be up to date and, and, and taking care of that or else you could potentially lose the forgiveness piece of that loan. Now, Jonathan, I'm glad you're sharing this, but like, you know, when the dentist is like, we're just going to go on the mesial and this your tooth. You're like, I have no idea. Just, just dumb it down for this 40 exhausted 42 year old in our audience, the PP, because this is good information, salient stuff for people because we're talking about what you can do during the coronavirus, after the coronavirus, just give us, if someone will give you 30 seconds to describe the PPP loan, what is that? Oh, okay, so well, that that's a good question. So the PPP loan is, is, a, is a is a new type of an SBA loan given out from and created under the uh, CARES Act. It came out, you know, a long time ago. It came out last Friday, um, and this loan is a unique loan. It's a, a loan that's been created to uh, be a stimulus to the uh, to the economy for small business owners to be able to get back and make it through this whole coronavirus impact. The only requirements to to apply for the seven A loan, the PPP loan is to uh, be a business owner and be in the U.S. basically. You can also be a contractor and some other things too. Um, but if you take out this loan, uh, the loan has a loan capacity, loan size of 250% of your average payroll uh, over the course of a month with a lot of like if-thens and a bunch of math things that you got to do for to get to that number. Um, but when you take this loan out, uh, you'll have an eight-week period of being able to be in business and using these funds to, to have your business run and if you do, if you follow all the rules, 
uh, all of that loan you don't have to pay back to the to the government. Um, and this is why I like I like the podcast, Jonathan, because sometimes Rob, I just try to get some free legal advice. So this is why I'm using this, even though there's hundreds of people watching and things. Like that, it's mainly about just me and you. But um, quick question: that loan you can use it for to pay your team's wages, rent, medical insurance premiums, but not yourself as the dentist. Is that correct? Uh, that is incorrect. Incorrect. I got it wrong. Yes, you can pay yourself. No matter what type of corporation you have, uh, S Corp, LLC, sole proprietor. Yeah, presumably. Um, the, the The language is a little unclear. Uh, one of the terms inside of the of the bill, it's uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's eleven oh two thirty six, and I don't know how to quote legal stuff. I'd have to ask Rob how to do it. But there's a bunch of letters. Good um, But one of the things in, is in the definitions is, is it defines what payroll cost means under the under the under the, the bill. Uh, and inside of that bill is definitely, uh, uh, it says, the sum of payments of any compensation with respect to employees, that is, and if you're an S-Corp owner, you're an employee at your S-Corp, so you 100% qualify under this provision. Uh, salary, wage, commission, or similar compensation, payments or cash tip or equivalent, payment for vacation, personal, uh, family, medical, or sick leave, allowance for dismissal or separation, payment required for the provisions of group health care benefits, including insurance premiums, Payment of any retirement benefit. So if you have a, um, you know, a part that's employer provided, not employee provided, but employer provided. And then uh, payment of state or local assessed on the compensation of employees, state or local tax. So anything like unemployment tax or worker compensation that you're required by law to uh, pay for an, an employee of the company. And then there's a bunch of if-thens of things about people who make more than $100,000 and only being able to, to qualify for the up to $100,000 annualized. Um, but again, if you want a 30 second conversation, that's like the math of this because there's a lot of things that aren't in, inside of payroll costs. Like it's, um, the federal, the federal withholding, uh, FICA taxes that doesn't count with the compensation. Um, but in general, uh, yes, you're going to be able to pay for yourself up to $8,333 and 33 cents. Thanks. That was good, Jonathan. I appreciate that. And I think it's really important for people to realize to, as Jonathan reels that off, I mean, it's helpful to understand what's going on. You have to work with a, a knowledgeable, experienced CPA to guide you through this whole process. You know, when I think we all were happy to listen to these webinars that came out over the weekend and everybody's scrambling around trying to get some sort of understanding as to whether or not, you know, the sky was going to fall uh, with this stuff or was the government really going to come up with something meaningful. And I think we all now have a, a basic understanding uh, anybody that tries to read that legislation and then uh, kind of go it on their own is insane, completely insane. So uh, again, like most things, you know, have an understanding of what the, the big picture is so you can have a better understanding when your professional gives you advice on it. But uh, you, you just can't, don't even try to do all this. You will, you, you'll fail and you'll drive yourself crazy. So there's just no, no good outcome in either of those. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, whenever, you know, this all came out, I was, you know, we're working our tails off because of tax season and having to help out the clients, you know, put up fires and things like that. And when this came out, I, you know, I'm not much of a, of a, of a reg guy. Like I don't, I'm not a huge person that gets in the reg and gets down in the down and dirty and listed all the subsections and sections and things that qualify back to each other and things like that. Um, but there was so much conflicting information out there that I had to do it. And so, I read the whole thing as much as anything that pertained to anything that was related to any of my clients. Um, I called multiple tax attorney friends and we just went, we literally went over it together. I probably had 
Um, I've probably looked at this. I mean, it's been on one of my screens since, you know, Friday afternoon, Friday night. Um, and I've had to go through it a dozen times. Uh, and there's a lot of things that just aren't answered inside of it um, that we're hope we still got to wait for guidance on. Um, and like Rob said, if, if, if anyone says that some of the, so there's some things that are 100% in there. There are some things that are pretty murky. And if someone says that they know exactly what happens in the murky areas, um, then that that's, uh, um, you know, a bit problematic. I think that you should just listen to people that are, uh, are, are paid to take care of this kind of stuff and find somebody that is taking care of you for it. Um, you know, I, I, I cringe. We had somebody yesterday, a banker reaching out, asking for financials through March. Well, I look at the calendar, I'm like, well, it's March 31st. How are we going to give them financials through March if it's not even over with yet? Um, so, and like, if you're not working with a bookkeeper or accountant that has that, like, really, you know, snappy on the fly, um, you know, you're going to, you know, whenever you go to get in line, you're going to have to sit to the back if you don't have that set up. Um, so there's lots, lots of little things in here that, uh, it's it, it's 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 crazy. Uh, it's funny. Tax season got delayed till July, and, I'm, and this is the by and large the busiest tax season I've ever had. Even whenever I was working at big firms and that was the grunt guy, like we have we have so much more work to do right now than we've ever had before. It's it's the the busy season that never ends for for our CPA friends this year. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's good because it's. I mean, this is what this is why we're in business. This is why good CPAs are in business because we want we want to be of impact and of value to our clients. Uh, and this is our this is this is our, it's stressful. Um, I feel I tell my wife all the time, uh, or not all the time, but over the last, all the time, the three times I talked to her in the last four days uh, is uh, I feel like George Bailey and it's, it's a Wonderful Life whenever they're doing the run on the bank. Uh, <laughs> at, at whenever he's got all the cash and. They're like, we got two thousand dollars, and he want, you know, and the first guy comes up, and he, he wants like two hundred and twenty bucks, and then like two or three people come in, and they want twenty dollars, and then one last lady says she wants seventeen fifty, and George Bailey's so happy when that person asked for the seventeen dollars and fifty cents because she just needed, what, she just took what she needed. Um, I feel like I'm the person, I'm George Bailey, is just like having to try and help my clients get as much, get the money that they need to be able to keep going. It's great. Now, Jonathan, aside from the tax changes in the check tax law and the stimulus, all this stuff, you know, which obviously you've been very busy staying on top of, uh, I can only imagine. Um, but, you know, to the extent you've had time to reflect outside of, you know, the immediate regulatory changes, what changes do you see or do you foresee changes in the, uh, in the dental industry and with practice ownership and, uh, and, and the dental world in general? Yeah, so there was definitely some ch some tax changes. Um, I don't know. I, I don't remember which day it was. I've been trying to catch as many of the um, coronavirus updates as well because they've been talking about some stuff that applies to us there too. One of the things that um, uh, Trump said was that he was going to uh, fight to get the 100% uh, mills and entertainment deduction back. Um, it's not any bill. It, it hasn't been added to any bill, but that was one of the things that he said he's going to try and get. Uh, after this is all over with to help revitalize the restaurant industry. Now this is when you can say, yes, I can write off my nachos, right? They're all right. Yeah. Write them all off. Affirm, yeah. yes, good. Not what you've been waiting for, Paul. Yeah. yeah. So, um, because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they, they're going to need help too. They're, you know, we've got all, you know, the, the March Madness, it, it's weird. It's April. March Madness didn't happen. Like, you know, it, sporting events, all March. those, all those coliseums and, 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 um, you know, think about, think about things like, um, 
going to going to the theater, like not just movies, but the theater, like small, like local repertory theaters and things like that. Uh, those things are going to be really heavily impacted. And so it makes a lot of sense to bring that production back and even to have it be better than it was before. Uh, allowed a lot of other things. So things like that could, could, could happen. So you could have, you know, being up to date with that would be important. Um, there's talks of, um, or there weren't talks of, there's in, I think in the, um, the Family First Act, there was, um, uh, I don't know if it was the Family First or the Cares Act, back, my head's kind of spinning right now. Um, but there was uh, up to $5,250 being eligible for uh, employees to receive towards the student loans and it'd be a, um, a not, not taxable income to the employee. Uh, that's huge. If, so if basically, they, yeah, they just that sounds like an owner could push to fifty two fifty of compensation to an associate, who they could then use for their student loans. Yeah, so that's pretty. Big, that's a big thing too. I mean, if, that's one of the things that if if they allow if they don't if they don't make an exception to that of and, and depending on where they put in the code, it could do that. It must it might not it might not count if you're the employer. There's certain fringe benefits the employer can't take, um, but it looks like they're going to, that, that, that could potentially be something the, the, the dentist could be doing and then getting, you know, you know, five grand of their student loans be actually tax free. Whereas in the past, you know, as we all know, anybody that makes any money, um, uh, they don't get any tax benefit from paying their loans. Uh, so that, that could be a really good thing too. Uh, um, and we don't know how long these provisions are going to last. So it could be, it, you know, there could be a lot more tax specific training and tax specific, um, strategies you should be putting forth inside of your practice and uh, so make sure that whoever you're using is, is really well versed in them. I think Jonathan you know you we're talking about and we've had some great insight you know during the coronavirus after the coronavirus I mean you seem you're really in this during it I mean we're all in this nacho plate together where the sure. accountant gets thrown in with the OSHA people because you know as a practice owner myself this extension of when we can go back to practice uh, I use this example. When I was a kid and got grounded, and I said, how long am I grounded? They said, my parents said one week. I said, okay, I can deal with it. If they said indefinitely, I'd be like, oh, geez, I have really made a mistake. I, I, right now, these practices, we don't know when we return. As a practice owner, and this is just a genuine question for your clients, what are they doing to keep their offices in business if they have zero revenue for three months? Yeah. Take, take the employees out of it, whether they have unemployment or the PPP. I'm talking about paying the cable and the PICOs and the CBCT payments. I mean, I'm just curious, what are you seeing to get them through this during part? What are they doing to pay that? Yeah, so definitely, um, sorry, I'm getting some notifications. I'm trying to clear. I'm sorry, it's not making yeah, no any noises and everybody, but I'm not computer literate enough to be able to do that apparently. Um, so, the way that I have my clients do it is, um, and, you know, we're in a bit unique position. We have clients in almost every state. So every state is impacted differently from this. Uh, you know, Oregon was, is the one that everybody's talking about that, you know, they're, they're closed, they, they could potentially be closed till September based off the last order that came out. Um, and whereas here in Arkansas, we have people that are talking about opening up here in a, in a few weeks. Um, so it's different for everyone. Um, you know, obviously my hope is that uh, accounts receivable was healthy enough before they closed that that income coming in, that they have reduced their staffing costs by either doing furloughing or laying people off, they're going to be closed completely. And that AR will help carry them and pay for those expenses. Most dental practices have somewhere between you know, 80 to 90% of 30-day AR. 
at any point in time. Uh, so 89% of their average monthly revenue. So if the practice is doing 100 grand in revenue a month, then you know it wouldn't be unforeseen that they'd have somewhere between 80 and 90 thousand dollars in accounts receivable or insurance receivable, whatever you want to call it, that was there whenever they closed the office. That means that over the next month and month to two months, they're going to have around 90 thousand dollars in collections come in, but they're not going to be open. Um, and if they you know were proactive enough to be able to reduce their staffing costs, then hopefully that 80 to 90 thousand dollars will cover all the expenses you know, this month and the next month after that. And then hopefully they have cash available to be able to pay for the other ones, unless they just, you know, another option would have been they could have applied for the 7B2 EIDL loan that came out just recently and get the emergency grant attached to that $10,000. Uh, we told people that if you're going to apply for the 7A and you have cash available, you don't necessarily have to rush out and get that one. Um, but if you need the cash between now and really, you know, there's some estimates saying it could be eight weeks before funds are available from the from the PPP loan. Um, if you need between now and then, then go ahead and apply and get that $10,000 now. Um, but hopefully that cash carries over to that. Uh, we tell all of our clients to be shooting for somewhere between um, uh, 100% to 200% of their monthly break-even costs and cash reserves uh, for every for each month. Um, so we want to make so every month our clients get an accounting report that says this is how much your break-even point was last month. Um, and how much it was, you know, over the prior quarter and average per, per month over the quarter. Uh, and then we have an amount of cash they had in the bank at that end of that period. And we say, okay, this is what percent you had and this is what percent we recommend. So hopefully most of our clients were listening to that and paying attention to that and you know, we're conserving cash. Because if they had that, they're going to have the, you know, the, the 80 to 90% of AR, which will hopefully cover them for a month or two, depending on how busy the practice is, all the math changes for every different office out there. Um, and then as well as hopefully they have a bit of a cash, um, a, a cash cushion to be able to handle any other extra time on that. That's um, good. Would you just share with our listeners and audience? I know they would like it. You did a great job with PPP. You don't have to do this long, but the EIDL loan up to the $2 million, you being the, you know, the George Bailey character again, is there any guidance insight thought as to like, let's say you're, let's just use a dental practice that does a million dollars a year. They want to apply for the EIDL loan that gets paid back over 30 years. Any idea of how much they're going to get when they apply? We don't. Uh, I don't. I have no idea how that is being calculated currently. Um, I, the way that I have read about it is, it's going to be based off of credit and some other factors as well, as well as your income. Um, and um, the way that it works right now is you do through what's like a preliminary application through the SBA.gov website. You fill out this form, it's like six pages long, it takes you 10 minutes to fill out, and you click a button at the end that says, I'd like to apply for the advance of $10,000. And that sends it to the SBA. The SBA would then assign you a loan administrator. That loan administrator would then be able to contact you and then start the actual process of the application. Um, And then, you know, at that point, that would be whenever you find out how much you were going to be qualified for. Thanks for breaking down. The use of those funds would be for anything. Um, that's considered an operating expense or any financial obligation that you could have met if you were not affected by the COVID uh, uh, thing. Um, one of the big questions we get is like, hey, can I pay my mortgage off with this? Or can I, you know, can I buy a, another dental office? Or can I buy a piece of real estate with this? Make sure that's no, uh, because that's not a financial obligation that you would have been able to fulfill if not affected by the COVID situation. Thanks for breaking that down. That was, that, that's been incredibly I always have asked, can I sign up for a webinar about the PPP loan that I'm more confused after I've watched the webinar and they're all like that. So that was a good, not anyone's fault. It's just very confusing. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, no problem. And we had a couple of questions too that probably 
Paul, you and I will not be able to answer uh, at the end. Um, although I, I think I have an understanding. Uh, do people, are they able to, if you know, Jonathan, they apply for the $10,000 idle loan without applying for a 7A loan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no, there's no prerequisite of that. Um, you, can, you can apply for the idea on the emergency grant provision uh, uh, as, as its own independent thing. Um, the only thing is, is I don't know why any business center wouldn't apply for the 7A loan. Uh, I can't, other than maybe um, some some feeling of, of uh, political reasons or something like that. I've, I've seen some some murmurs of people not trusting the government to actually forgive the loan. Um, but I don't know. To me, if, if, if you get a loan and you pay the money out, you're and you don't change anything based off your spending habits, then you're you're no worse off if you have to pay back the loan than if you were to spend the money in the first place. I think that they're saying that like the, the interest rate's going to be like over a two-year period, and you get a six-month deferral in payment, and it's like a half percent interest or something like that, too. Jonathan, I live my life by two simple rules. If my nacho chef says, eat these nachos, I eat them. And if my accountant says, take this money, I take it. So that seems good enough for me, Jonathan, that the expert in money says, take this money. So I will take that money. Thanks, Jonathan. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks uh, for taking the time. There, you know, there's another question which I'm going to answer. I'm not going to throw this over to Jonathan, but you know, what are the requirements to make sure that the loan is forgiven? That's just something you really have to work with your accountant on and make sure that you're doing the things that Jonathan said. Put in the compliance plan so that you're able to you know, submit the documentation that you need to submit for the loan to be forgiven. Uh, but uh, it's not. That's not an easy answer. I don't think, Jonathan, um, unless you otherwise yeah so you're actually going to be working you'll work with your, your, your cpa you'll also work with your banker a lot on that one because you got to submit to the banker to submit to the sba uh for the 7a uh is what we're reading um and i i feel for the bankers i feel really bad for the bankers uh because from everything i'm reading they're not gonna get paid for any of this work and they've got like the bankers i've talked to so they have like hundreds of people calling and emailing them every day uh so i hope that you have a really good relationship with your banker yeah, that's a good point. And there, are, you know, lawyers out there are sending emails to all their clients and all their contact lists, telling people to call their bankers too, which doesn't really help help matters either. You know, any guys like that, Paul? Yeah, I know. Yeah, a couple, a couple yeah. of podcast with, so you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Jonathan, thank you, uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to be on the show. And just uh, quickly, to get to, how, how can people uh, learn more about your firm? Yeah, so you can go to toothandcoin.com, T-O-O-T-H-A-N-D-C-O-I-N.com. Uh, find out more about our firm. Uh, we help out around 200 dental practices around the country, um, and we help them with accounting and tax services. We do tax planning, tax compliance, uh, accounting services, major reports, things like that. Help you understand profitability and understand you know, where your business has been so you can understand where it's going to go. Uh, and we love doing it. We have a specialty. Uh, we really... Uh, focus a lot on new practice owners uh, of our 200 offices. Uh, around 75% of them were new practice owners or they became clients. Uh, so, well, we're in, the, we're in the dental niche. We're really in the new practice owner dental niche. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we have, like I said, we've had a lot of mutual clients and uh, a lot of people are happy and really uh, comfortable working with uh, with Jonathan and his team. And Paul, they do, uh, do excellent work, you know, with transitions, but, you know, especially in the startup space. And it's a a real passion for those guys and a focus. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks again, amigo. And uh, look forward. Awesome. To Appreciate it very much. Hopefully, seeing you.
Stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. So great stuff there, Paul, from uh, from Jonathan Van Horn. Uh, we're uh, into our, our last guest here for this session. Don't worry, people. If you need more of what will dentistry look like after COVID, we've, we've got at least one, probably two more of these episodes. Yeah, Wednesdays, hang with us. I'm ready to get in to the Mind Haze IPA soon because I think we passed five o'clock. But yeah. uh, let's introduce Dr. Sonny, who's a, a great friend of mine. Also, he runs the Dental Investment Group, so please check it out. He's been working tirelessly to produce webinars and content and stuff for his Facebook group, and he's just an all-around great guy, and uh, we're looking forward to chatting with him. Yeah, absolutely. And so first time on the show, uh, welcome, Amigo, and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm driving, so I'm not sure if you can hear me okay. But, Sonny, your safety is most important. Are you, are you driving, driving? I'm driving, driving with a seatbelt on, and uh, I'm driving kind of slow, so I'm, I'm okay. And I'll try to look at the screen too much. Well, just take your video off. My grandmother would be so upset uh, to see this. So we'll just talk to us like it's a real podcast. Cause, I mean, talk to us like we're just listening. We don't need your- We don't need eye contact. Yeah, so change the video. So Sonny's been somebody who's been perfect, Sonny. Sonny's been somebody who's been running a lot of webinars on his group, so Rob, I'll let you just give him a starter question as a practice owner and dental Facebook group runner. Yeah, so Sonny, you know, uh, we've had some great guests on today, you know, talking about things that are changing in the dental world, some trends that they see, things that people should be thinking about. Uh, I think the, the agreement is, you know, we're unanimous agreement that the dental world is gonna change. It's just a matter of how and, and where yeah. and what it's gonna look like. What types of things are you looking for or are you anticipating or what are some tips that you could give our listeners uh, to be out in front of that wave and to prepare themselves for, for post-COVID dentistry? Yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I think the, the health and safety of our own practices, I mean, our own employees is, is a huge thing. And I know that a lot of offices are closed completely. Some offices are open for emergencies. Um, and I've been, you know, talking to my office manager a lot about what are the patients, you know, saying on the on the phone when they're rescheduling, what kind of things are they saying? And for the most part, I mean, I think patients are um, anxious to kind of get back and get their treatment done. They're, they want to they wanna come to the dentist. I mean, they're not necessarily worried about it, but I think it's still going to take a lot on us to instill that confidence to our patients, to our staff, that they're working in a safe environment you know, from the standpoint of universal precautions, I mean, a dental office is probably one of the cleanest, if not the cleanest places to be in. Um, so I'm not so worried about the fact that, you know, we're gonna, uh, you know, have to worry about changing a bunch of things, but we just have to be aware of the fact that if those changes are mandated, that we basically take care of it as soon as possible so we can assure our patients that they are coming to a safe place to, to get their treatment done. Um, and I think from the the other things that I kind of hear a little bit about is the the employee landscape, right? I mean, there's been uh, there there are a lot of threads on. It seems like that there is almost a, um, a a problem with finding good employees, and I feel like you know that's going to change a little bit because there are going to be some practices that may choose to consolidate. There there are going to be practices they may decide that you know what. Maybe I was near retirement. I'm not going to open back up. Who knows what's going to happen? But that's that's going to create some 
some issues, some opportunities for some offices. Who knows what's going to happen from, from that standpoint. But I think um, it is a stressful time. There's no doubt there. Things are going to change. There's no doubt there. Um, but we just have to kind of take it day by day and, and do the best we can at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, we're catching some common themes here, Paul. And, you know, I think some of what Sonny's talking about is what we started off with David Phelps at the outset. And, and I think also, you know, we talked to, uh, uh, to Desiree about and, and Jamie too, uh, you know, and, and so Sonny, David Phelps was talking about earlier, you know, that there are going to be lost efficiencies, that offices aren't going to be able to run the way mm-hmm. they used to with, you know, the same kind of well-oiled machine with a high density of people in the chairs and, and waiting and coming and going. And that, you know, it's going to take more, probably take more time to uh, comply with infection control when the office yeah. open back up. You know, what do you agree with that? And what kind of strategies are you thinking about anything or what would you suggest people do to kind of prepare for that? Yeah, I mean, and I do agree with that. I mean, part of that is going to be, I feel like when we get back into our practices, we're probably going to have this pent up demand from procedures that were already scheduled, people that are, wanting to get things done. They've been waiting on things to, uh, to get done. Um, but I think if the unemployment rate isn't controlled uh, properly, then we're going to have some trouble in terms of like the long-term demand of those, of those patients. Sonny, um, I really agree with you. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to just add, you know, that's what we were talking about. I said, there's two challenges for dentists. Uh, once they get back to work, let's jump past. We have the PPE, we have the stuff. Let's just pretend we're in a world where we're ready, two things I think dentists are gonna have to overcome. One is there are gonna be people afraid to go to the dentist. Maybe they're in a high risk category where they shouldn't go out of the house as often. I mean, social distancing isn't gonna be turned off like a faucet, but then we have those patients who do wanna come back and they have work, but do they have the economics to pay for it? So those are those challenges. I I agree with you in that that sentiment um, that we just need to be aware of this as we move towards reopening. Yeah, and I think part of it is going to be, um, you, you know, unfortunately, you're right. The unemployment rate is going to be an issue, and I think that's where, from a from a being a, a unique practice, we should be able to have more patients that that should get on our on our uh, wellness plans or membership plans that we have in our offices. Right? I mean, we we worked on those things. You know, a lot of offices have these membership plans that they've opened up to their patients for for quite some time now. And I think it's gonna be really important to start really promoting those membership plans to our patients to help them understand that, look, maybe you don't have insurance anymore, but we have something that, that can help you um, with, with these costs that, that are gonna come with this down treatment. So part of it is that you have to get a little bit creative in terms of, of making sure that the patient feels that they're, they're taken care of uh, with reasonable costs. And what you just said, the social distancing isn't going to turned off, uh, isn't going to get turned off automatically just like that. You know, I was listening to a really well-respected analyst this morning, and we were they were talking about movie theaters. You know, they were saying that there's probably going to be, for some time, they're going to mandate or not mandate, but maybe recommend that people sit every other seat or every two seats or something like that. And that's going to have a lot of empty seats and the movie industry, the, the, the cinema industry is not going to come back just like that. I mean, that social distancing is going to 
keep going on probably for some time. And who knows? I mean, the goal at the end of the day is maybe there's a vaccination that comes out of this um, sooner than later that can instill that confidence in people that they can, you know, go back out and not have to worry about that they're going to catch something um, of, of this sort. And something, Sonny, I want to add, I haven't brought this up yet, but, you know, we're both practice owners, different practices, but most dental practices are small in nature. So there's something that people aren't speaking about that I see as a big issue. So let's say that, let's just say that we can go back to practice on June 1st. So then we get our team back together on May 15th and everyone goes to the office every day. How do we socially distance from our own team members with break rooms? So how, I mean, if that's going to be a, a regulation, you know, I kind of gave one of those SAT questions with guesses. If 10 people return to a dental office as dentists and teens, and one of them's asymptomatic for the coronavirus, by the end of that one week, if there were no patients, how many how many people do you think may have contracted it? So I think we're also just need to pay attention yeah. to how we socially, what's like, you just made a great point about movie theaters. Well, we're all talking about patients, but what do we do on the inside? I, I'm, I'm six inches away from a team member almost the entire day. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that universal precaution is going to apply to us as well. Maybe you've got to wear the mask at all times. Um, maybe you have to basically, be a little bit more careful on whatever it is, sharing your food, you know, sharing things in the break room and that kind of stuff, uh, remote controls, all those little things. Um, and I know it's, it's not hundred. We might have lost Sonny a little bit there, uh, Rob, so we could chat. Yeah. Let us know when you get back, Sonny. We might have lost a little bit, but I think that's a key point. Also, Rob, I wanted to bring up in Sonny's segment because I like this group of people very much. I, uh, Sonny, are you back with us? Arm. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah we're, we got you. Yeah, I guess the question we have to also ask is what's the long-term damage of not being able to do things that we were used to on a, on a normal, regular basis, right? So where does that come in play? That That's a question also to ask ourselves. Nobody wants to get sick, but where do you draw the line and say, okay, look, things have to kind of get back to normal as well and when does that happen? And I think no one knows the answer. And I think part of that's going to be if a vaccination is, de is developed and, and, and people actually are on board with that, then maybe there is something. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great point. And, you know, it, it's sort of it, the, the part of the crisis is that we just lack data and an understanding as to the specifics of, of how widespread the, the virus is. And, who has it and who doesn't. And you know, I think because of that, a lot of decisions are being made sort of, you know, based on assumptions that may or may not be true. My concern is how does this end, you know? And, you know, if, if we're in the same place six months from now that we lack the data and the understanding for the specifics of, of, of the virus and how, who had it and, and how it was spread and how to control it, then it's going to make it a lot more challenging to have a finite ending to it. You know, like, and, right. and, and that to me is going to be as maybe as detrimental as the last few months that we've been through where people start to come back and, you know, whether it's media or government or whatever the case may be, start to say, well, it's better, but it's not all better. It's kind of better. It's a little better, right. getting better. And there, there has to be, you know, a tipping point, it's, you know, somewhere where we know that you know, it's safe to go outside again. And, um, you know, if we have the same lack of data, then 
at that point in the future that we have now, I think people are going to have a hard time getting comfortable or being confident to go about, you know, their lives and, and return to life as it, as it once was. And that's, uh, you know, it's akin, you know, Paul, we've talked about this too, that it's akin to what we talk about in terms of making business decisions. And some of our guests talked about this today that, you know, whether you're bringing on an associate or bringing on a partner or uh, accepting a PPO or dropping a PPO, you make those decisions based on data so that you can make a rational decision. And without data, it's impossible to make a rational decision. We're in that now. And so people are obviously being as conservative as possible to try to spread the, uh, stop the spread of the virus. But there, there is a tipping point. There has to be where it's okay again. And if we don't have that data, Sonny, like how do we even know? Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I think the next four to six weeks are going to be super important when it comes to gathering that data and figuring out, you know, the estimates that the government's talking about, you know, are those estimates going to hold, you know, is it going to be worse than that? Is it going to be better than that? And hopefully it's going to be better than that. You know, hopefully it's not as bad as we're predicting to be. Uh, but the way things are looking like right now, you know, here in the U S in, in Spain and in Italy, I mean, things aren't looking so good, but you know, we also are missing a lot of data in, in our country here. Um, so like you said, I mean, there's really no right or wrong answer. We don't, no one has the answers at this point, but that's, that data is determined. Points are good. Let's just say though, like we're talking about during and after the coronavirus crisis and we're speculating, we're, we're giving hopeful things, we're giving reality things, but here's what I want to share, Sonny, as a practice owner, you and I, and it's different for you, Rob, because you have the ability to work remotely if you weren't feeling well, but what people are somehow misremembering they're saying, oh, it wasn't a big deal when people got the flu. Well, if you're a dental practice owner and one of your teammates comes in and they say, I don't feel well, I have a cold, we say, get home because we don't want them to infect the whole office, right, Sonny? Yeah. Yep. So, so if we get to this point where the coronavirus is something where, where people are, it is like a flu, whatever the saying is now, it still can have a huge impact on business with everyone getting sick in an office. And right now, if a dentist got it, they'd have to quarantine for 14 days, which now doesn't seem like a big deal because we're not open. But I worry, Sonny, about what's going to happen. You know, we're back open. Like you said, Rob, dentist gets it. Maybe they have a mild version, but now the office is shut down for 14 days. Right. And I think that's where the data on vaccination is going to be the biggest thing. I mean, that's basically our only hope in terms of, of moving forward with something like this, right? I mean, at what point, like Rob said, do you come to that tipping point and say, look, I've got a family to support, I've got a business to run, and not only you're supporting your families, but you're also supporting, you know, probably eight to 10 other families. Uh, so it's kind of like, it's, it's one of those things where we don't know the answers right now, but hopefully in the next few weeks, we're gonna have to kind of make those make those decisions where do we go from here? You know, how long do you keep the practice closed for? And, and we're in that unique business that we're basically, what, a f- two feet away from people's mouths? I mean, it's crazy. It, it's, and, and, and what I want to say to uh, Rob and Sonny as we kind of wrap up some of this is we're talking a lot about with each other, Sonny, and you're running Dental Investment Group. I'm running Dental Nachos and constant talk amongst dentists. But kind of this is like when my sister, brother, and I would talk about where we'd go on vacation. Our parents made the ultimate choice, right? 
So at some point, we need some guidance and leadership from ADA, CDC, and OSHA to help us because we could talk from now for the next 90 days on our Facebook groups. It's going to have zero impact on the actual reality. We need some organized governing bodies to help us here because they're the ones that are going to give us this permission slip to open up. I honestly think the ADA is doing a fantastic job being on the forefront, you know, advocating for small businesses, small practices like ours, and making sure that they gather as much data as possible so they can make the proper recommendations. You know, on the state level, I feel like, you know, my state association, ODA, uh, they're doing a fantastic job keeping us notified, making sure that we're doing the right thing for our patients, making sure that we're also keeping patients out of the emergency rooms. So there is guidance, but but you're right though. I think we need more information from them as, as this develops. How do we get back to work in a safe manner? And not just for us, but also for the patients. You know, how do you make those patients more comfortable when they call in and say like, hey, um, that's going to be a tough conversation, right? Some patients are going to call in and ask, I'm supposed to get my cleaning done today, or I'm supposed to get a crown done today. Uh, Do I need to worry about coronavirus? I mean, people are going to ask these kind of questions. um, But, you know, hopefully by that time, we have some guidelines in place so we can tell the patients, this is what we know. This is what we're doing to basically help you and make sure that it doesn't happen but nothing is foolproof. I mean, at this point, there's just so much misinformation out there that patients are also uh, kind of confused, honestly. Yeah, well, we spoke that, and I think that's you know something we were talking about with, with Desiree, that you know it's important for practices and, and dentists to communicate with their patients that they do have uh, solid information to the extent the dentist can. But look, I, I think that there, there's a whole lot more that needs to be done from a lobbying and advocacy standpoint for the dental profession right now. I mean, I don't, while this, uh, all these SBA loans and the government, you know, stimulus uh, that's coming out here is nice for most businesses. I think it's woefully inadequate for what the dental profession is looking at. I mean, I think the dentists, by virtue of how this virus is spread, are going to be coming back to the party a lot later than everybody else. So retail, other businesses, you know, are going to be back, which, you know, that's not a bad thing. The sooner anybody gets back, the better, because we need the economy to start functioning again so that people have money to spend at the dentist or so that they have health care benefits that enable them to go and, uh, and get their dental treatment. I mean, obviously, we talk about, you know, unemployment, but it's not just not having the, the dollars. It's not having the benefits because, I mean, how many people can afford to pay for what health care costs now? while they're on unemployment on, under a COBRA. So, I mean, I think that dentists are going to need a lot more time than other industries. And somebody has to be going to the government to, to lobby for that and advocate for that. The two month thing to pay your rent and, and then everything's gonna be rosy again. I just don't see that working for dentists. And I think it ties into what we were talking about a few minutes ago that you know, how this ends is also going to be very impactful for dentists because it needs to end in a way, well, I should say, ideally, we hope it ends in a way that is definitive and gives people confidence that they can go back and and seek treatment. Because if it doesn't, this is just going to drag on and on and on. And then, you know, who's going to bail us out, you know, and, and, uh, you know, know, we can ask for the government to get involved in, in certain of these things. But, you know, my experience as, 
as a lawyer and a business person and a, you know, a, a human being that's been on the planet for 52 years, when the government gets involved with business, very ba- very little good happens. Uh, right. And, yeah. you know, um, but, you know, even as David was saying at the outset, uh, are we looking at a situation where the government's going to have to step in because, you know, people aren't able, dentists aren't able to deliver uh, services in a way that is acceptable from an infection and disease control standpoint. And, you know, I'm not really too thrilled about that prospect because you look what the government did to the to physicians and the rest of medicine, it, you know, it hasn't really been such a tremendous thing for, for us as a, as a country or uh, a community. But, um, you know, I don't know where else we go with that because people have to go to the dentist. I mean, you can well, say have emergency treatment for, for, you know, a few months. It's emergency only for a few months, but like yeah. that can't go on for years. The movie theaters and, and being every other seat, what is that? What do you, what does that look like for dentistry? How do we embrace that movie theater thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, fortunately like we have our own rooms and that kind of stuff. So I think that kind of isolates the patient from, you know, one patient to another, but there might be some changes that you have to make in your reception area. Maybe, you know, people aren't like sitting as close as uh, close to each other. Um, who knows what, what that scenario, scenario is going to look like, but you, you know what, at the end of the day, I feel like one of the things in dentistry that happens a lot is we give away a lot of treatment for, for free, I should say. Um, you know, have you, you go to a medical office or you go to a vet office and you see all these like OSHA charges and charges for this and that. And maybe it's time for dentistry to kind of do the same thing. If we're going to have to spend extra money on PPP, PPE uh, requirements, then you're going to have to pass those costs onto the patient. And that's where, you know, that's where the insurance kind of insurance can be suck because they're going to probably say, well, you can't charge the patient, but that's where hopefully, you know, the ADA comes in and says, look, there are increased costs associated with running a practice now and appropriately the patients should have to bear some of that cost. I agree with you, Sonny. I hope that's the case. I mean, you know, you, I appreciate all of what you're doing on your group to keep us posted. You want run some wonderful webinars. I really uh, enjoy your insight and even sharing with us today about the movie theater scenario and how that would apply to dentistry is some good thoughts. Um, as we wrap up, any, any parting thoughts for the Dental Amigos and Dental's Nachos world from Dr. Sonny P, leader of the Dental Investment Group? I mean, the biggest thing, I, I'll say this, and, I, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm just as stressful as, you know, as other dentists out there. But at the end of the day, we've just got to breathe, make sure we absorb as much information as possible, maybe even take this opportunity to do as much CE as possible, just because, I mean, there's a bunch of online CE that's available. Take advantage of that. Because worrying about this stuff and sitting at home isn't going to get us too far. Um, maybe the goal is to just just make sure you take it day by day and, and think like about it. Sonny, you know what I think has been so hard for – that's such great advice. You know what's been so hard for dentists is we have a schedule, 9 o'clock implant impression, 10 o'clock someone tells me they hate their denture, 11 o'clock this, right? Maybe you should just – we should just schedule in your anxiety and say from 10 to 11 I'll be anxious – and then 11 to 12, I'm going to schedule something else. So, you know, I like that. I yeah. like that. Uh, thanks so much, Sonny, for being on. We'll have you on again. And I uh, really, really appreciate it. Hey, Sonny, yeah, thank you. Thanks for being on. How can people uh, find you on uh, websites or, or social media? Oh, I'm just on Dental Investment Group. That's, that's all. <laughs>
Thank thanks, you. Okay. It's, thanks, thanks guys. This was awesome. We still have over 100 people hanging with us on Zoom, Rob. So two and a half hours, it's our record time for one, one, uh, one podcast. Any parting thoughts for our, uh, our Amigos uh, fans out there? Yeah, so let's just, so we can wrap up the podcast with this. Uh, you know, great uh, information from, uh, from David Phelps uh, kicking it off. I mean, talking about how things are going to change and people aren't going to be able to really run offices as efficiently and, and what that's going to look like. Um, you know, and I think the importance of staying relevant in the business world and, and really being focused is, has never been more important. Uh, I think Jamie Amos delivering some really awesome ideas to uh, possible opportunities from a real estate perspective, uh, construction costs possibly going down. And you know, construction costs have just risen and risen you know, steadily over the last few years. So you know, a, a little correction, sorry to the construction industry, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world from a, uh, from a consumer standpoint. But really the searching patient, you know, and I find that to be really compelling. And that ties in, I think, a thread through all of our guests today that, you know, it's going to be, people are going to be looking for good infection control and sterilization. Uh, and it's going to be important to be able to market that and, and that your practice has that. If you are in a position where you're building out an office now, think about building an office that has, you know, compliant treatment rooms that people would be you know, interested in going to see and, and, and see you in rather. You know, and if it costs you a few extra bucks, well, you know, maybe there'll be a good return on that investment that you'll have more patients. And, you know, with Desiree, uh, great stuff as well. You know, the importance of connecting with patients and really getting out there and, and getting your message across and, and let, let your patients, I mean, I'm, I'm not a dentist, right? So where do I want to get my information about about the dental world and my dental well-being from my dentist, not not from CNN. Um, and you know, uh, Jonathan Van Horn, you know, obviously uh, he's really in the weeds with all this these these tax and stimulus loans. You have to avail yourself of of those things, or at least know what they are. It's impossible, I think, to navigate that stuff yourself. Work with your CPA, leverage their experience, and you know, Sunny. Uh, also really good stuff uh, in terms of, you know, what is dentistry going to look like? And if it's going to look like the movie theater analogy that he's talking about, then, um, you know, we're going to have to think about what those, uh, what those changes are. And, you know, there's going to be a tipping point, you know, when I think people are going to have to make a difficult decision. And Paul, you and I and, and Anna Haslinski and Linda Harvey talked about this, you know, what are people going to do if it's a month or two from now? And, you know, we haven't gotten the all clear yet. And yep. there are some difficult decisions that need to be made. Yeah. Um, and overall, I'm going to say that it's important, I think, for everybody to really reach out and, and to, the, to the ADA and their state dental associations and make them do more. You know, right now, government is focused on a lot of issues and trying to fix a lot of problems. They haven't thought about dentistry yet, I don't think. Or at least it doesn't seem to be, but they're going to have to soon. And so, you know, you have two options. You could sit back and let the government guide the conversation and set the agenda, or you as the dental professionals and the clinicians can set that agenda for them. And uh, I guarantee you, if you set that agenda, the outcome is going to be a lot better than if you sit back and let the, uh, let the politicians and the, uh, the bureaucrats 
try to uh, dictate and, and regulate your world. We've already seen how that how that will, will pan out. I mean, where we are in Pennsylvania, the most you know untenable situation where the state board is telling us that you can treat and have to treat emergency patients, and then uh, the Department of Health is setting forth requirements that no dentist can meet. So like you just can't have that disconnect. And the only way that you can avoid that is if you are proactive, setting the agenda, setting the terms, telling these people, this is what we need, this is how it has to be. And otherwise, you know, you're really at their mercy and that's not a good place to be. I think it's a great, those are great takeaways. Uh, do something with this. You know, Seth Godin uh, uh, always has this great message. You know, I hope you learn something, but more importantly, I hope you go and do something. And now's the time to go and do what you've encouraged them or we're encouraging them to do is to, to kindly annoy the leaders to pay attention to dentistry. We need them to do it. I'm, I'm concerned like you, Rob, where they're not doing it. So uh, we'll just keep this going. And next week we'll have a, a whole nother one of these and my team will drop it in the comments. So great job, Rob. Yeah, everybody stay safe, stay sane. We've got some great guests uh, lined up for next week. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but uh, we're going to continue with uh, industry leaders and, and thought leaders that are going to. Hey, April 8th, sweatpants welcome. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.